0: My name is Jason Dubray, and this is the Shelf-Shedding Movie Show. Each week, I'm going to give away one movie from my physical movie collection. Please enjoy this week's episode. Episode 5 of the shelf-shedding movie show. This episode my returning guest Dan Boudet and I are going to talk about six movies that revolve around bad jobs. At the end of the episode we're going to each take 60 points and distribute them among the six films and whichever one has the lowest total is the one that I will have to eliminate from my movie collection. There may be some spoilers and some coarse language. Please enjoy this episode. Welcome, Dan Boudet. You are my first returning guest. Ah, it's an honor. The Shelf-Shedding Movie Show, and today we're talking about bad jobs. Bad jobs, yeah. Yeah. What is uh, a bad job that you had? Uh, A bad job
1: that I had, I'll mention two. One is I used to uh, work for a uh, major grocer. Uh, in Canada, and I had a job making hamburger, uh-huh. uh, so that meant getting up really early in the morning, going to the shop, uh, getting covered in cow blood, and making tremendous amounts of hamburger. It's quite not not the uh, the best job in the world. Uh, do you still eat meat? Yeah, I still yeah. do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the other job that I had that was kind of a temporary thing, but I had a job working for a conservation uh, group and... The job involved driving a quad runner around these massive outdoor swamps and, and sloughs picking up dead birds uh, wow. because every year there would be this kill-off of all these birds courtesy of avian botulism and it was nice in that you got to work outside uh, in the summer but it was a little brutal in that you your job was to collect buckets and buckets of dead birds just writhing with maggots. So. That was uh, what a dirty drought, I would
0: say. I cannot compete with either of those. I'm, I'm too much of a wimp. Good for, yeah. good for you. <laughs> uh, I, I was trying to brainstorm a bad job I had. And, you know, a wonderful job I had, and I have a lot of good memories, was working at Rainbow Cinemas for oh, six yeah. years. Yeah and you know i i don't know it's the last months of rainbow cinema so i'm gonna be sad to see that place go but yeah that's one of those minimum wage jobs but i have such great memories so that's the good one i worked at an office Mm -hmm. for a summer when i was in university and the training session was like boom 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 Uh, And there's all this stuff to know and they didn't take the time to properly train us. Right. So I was constantly having to ask people questions and they were constantly annoyed with me that I didn't know all of this information. Right. And I just, uh, I I learned that offices are, they're they're kind of interesting. And the irony now is that I'm I'm back to student services. I'm working in an office, but I've had very positive experiences Yeah, and I don't know if the difference is it's just working at an office in a school versus an office in a different type of institution. I think
1: being a cubicle jockey would be mind numbing, but doing office work in a school where you're interacting with hundreds of people mm-hmm. in a given week is going to be a lot more satisfying, of course. And the kids make it yeah more more entertaining, yeah. and, and that's uh, more and that's fun the thing about teaching is that I I tell people you never have the same day twice. Yeah, no matter
0: what. Yeah, and so there's the varieties i was going to keep you yeah. on your toes it's a different but yeah i, I certainly understood partially the, the whole idea of the office and the success yeah. of the office yeah. both british and american yeah uh, because I, I think there are a lot of people who feel that way about their jobs yes unfortunately yeah yeah so we're looking at six movies today uh which Revolve around bad jobs, but uh, I kind of put this show together for you because you said you, you were interested in talking about clerks.
1: Yes, I was. Well, I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan, and so any excuse to talk about you know his work and his legacy and uh his approach to filmmaking, I was really happy to do. And then when I saw the collection that you put together and we're reviewing it right now, it's a diverse yes films. yeah
0: this is not you can, you can't sort of other than bad jobs you, you cannot yeah yeah the
1: genres are so different yeah previously when looking at the films of danny boyle versus the films of david fincher you're looking at the progression of two directors but this is we're all over the map here <laughs> we've got horror movies we've got silent movie era we got a little bit of this a little bit of that so yeah, it's going to be an interesting yeah there's some classics in here as yeah, well yeah yeah
0: yeah for sure um, so, looking forward to it, I, I think we'll mention the six movies we're yep. going to watch. We're going to start off in the horror genre with Session 9 from 2001, I believe. Yep. Then we're going to look at Martin Scorsese's 1976 uh, classic, dare I say, Taxi Driver. Yes. Then we're going to look at uh, Dirty Pretty Things. Uh, Stephen Frears is the director. It's a British film. Kind of forgotten film. It did have a one Academy Award nomination for screenplay. You're right. Then we're going to look at another one that's considered a, a classic in many circles, Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times, the last film where we see The Tramp, who he was yeah. his most famous character, of course. Uh, then we're going to look at one of the many kind of Iraq-based war films in the first uh, decade of, uh, of this century, The Messenger, right. uh, starring Ben Foster and Woody Harrelson. And we're going to end off with, as mentioned before, Kevin Smith's 1994 movie Clerks, which pretty much made his filmmaking career. Indeed.
1: Okay, get construction crews in here by Columbus Day, so you gotta guess about how long? i got four really good guys. One week,
0: we're gone. That's fast. I need the job. So the loonies are outside in the real world, and here we are with the keys to the loony bin, boys.
1: <laughs> you might actually want to be grateful when you're about to make some decent money.
0: What's the catch?
1: Patricia Willard scandal,
0: 1984.
1: <laughs> I want you to try to remember what happened 24 years ago. Use your imagination.
0: The Shrinks figured that with these new techniques they designed, they could release hidden memories.
1: You can hear me.
0: You okay? I want to go
1: home. I wouldn't tell anybody about this. If they find out about Hank, they're going to find out about the others. Quit of the others.
0: Our first film is Session 9, and uh, the premise is that tensions rise within an asbestos cleaning crew as they work in an abandoned mental hospital with a horrific past that seems to be coming back. So what do you think of Session 9?
1: Um, I love this movie. And it was very, it's very interesting for a number of different reasons. Uh, for a very small cast. Yes. just uh, a small little ensemble piece with primarily five actors uh, and so many of their scenes you only see maybe three at any given time because the place that they are clearing out this Danvers hospital, uh, which is a real location is so massive. And the job that they have ahead of them is so big that they're going to be separated. And because of their separation and because of their isolation, they start to get into their own little individual stories based on their own personal horrors. We have one guy who is has a gambling addiction, and while working in one area he discovers the old crematorium where he finds leftover money and jewelry we have another guy who has nectophobia mm-hmm. um another one who is a, a law school dropout who discovers a series of tapes which is where we get the title for our film from uh and the, the tapes are about regression therapy and this frightening interview that a psychiatrist is doing with a uh, one of the former patients so It's a very intriguing way to string out a horror film. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't fall into a lot of the uh, usual horror tropes. Like, there isn't... We're not seeing a story about uh, people working in a hospital, but there's a murderer, or there's a monster, or there's a malevolent spirit. It's... You're never really quite sure what the source of horror is. It's just this disquiet, that is over the, that lays over top of everything. And you can tell that each person is struggling with their own issues while at the same time, remembering that when these hospitals were closed in the eighties, um, that people were, the people who were kicked out, the patients, a lot of them would come back because it's the closest thing that felt like to home. Yeah. And so that idea, when they plant that idea in your head early on, it's, it's quite, quite intriguing. Um, also, the fact that any movie that can still be frightening, yes, mostly in the light, in the daytime, is gonna do gonna be very very uh, if you can pull it off. It's a very interesting effect. And looking into the film, finding out that most of this was filmed using natural light, yes, and letting the light stream in from the windows, and you have these bright hallways, but they're horrifying, the, the crumbling. Uh, uh paint and the, the the tiles and everything makes for a very intriguing interesting setting
0: it was a very quick shoot as I understand it and yeah. they did actually shoot it there in this hospital yes. and the, the stories from the cast and crew are yeah are quite frightening you know there's yeah there's uh, one actor was was nearly injured so was the cinematographer when trying to do this this one shot so they yeah. That they very much felt that there was something something going on with this place yeah. that added to the film. And it, it reminded me of a
1: documentary I'd seen. I believe it was produced after this movie. But it was a documentary on Netflix. I think it was called Cropsey. And Cropsey was the story of uh, an urban legend about one of these hospitals that was closed on Staten Island. And following the closure... Of this hospital there were a series of uh, murders that had taken place on Staten Island and this thing this this individual who was blamed for it was something called Cropsey who was like Staten Island's own boogeyman Mm -hmm. and the belief was it was what this is what happens when you close down these in the 80s when these hospitals were closed down because of funding and these inmates or patients I should say were turned out onto the street that led to this massive homeless problem across America but also the idea of these people coming back and not being able to keep track of them and at the same time abandoned hospitals or abandoned uh, asylums being places where teenagers like to hang out you know Uh, growing up in Saskatoon we had the sanatorium here which was for TB patients and when that place was closed down. That was um, uh, temporarily, at least, it was this focal point in the city for a place where, you know, teenagers would get beer and hang out and, yes. and sneak in and spray paint the walls. And there were urban legends around that. And so these, these institutions are great settings for, you know,
0: psychological horror, obviously. Uh, my friend who's an independent filmmaker after making his first kind of big feature-length film, he said uh, what he learned from that is to, next movie he makes is going to be one setting, yeah. and you just film the heck out of that setting. Yeah. This movie follows that to a certain degree. Yeah. There there are a couple scenes which happen outside yeah. of this area. I think there's a scene in a bar. Right. Um, there's a scene, really important scene, at this house, uh, which keeps being repeated yeah. through flashback. Uh, the actors, you know, I really struggled with the actor David Caruso. Yeah. Yeah, and he plays Phil, here, right. who's uh, a member of this, this crew. And it seems like when David Caruso is invested, mm-hmm. that there's potentially no better actor out there. The yeah. first season of NYPD Blue, yeah, uh, which unfortunately now we have a generation of people who haven't seen that show. Yeah. I think it's one of the greatest police uh, TV shows of all time right he was so strong in that and then he left the show yeah and kind of his movie career just really did not take off and yeah. then his, his biggest gig after that was CSI Miami yeah where he sounded like a robot he moved around like a robot yeah. it looked cool if you take the you know turn the volume off but it appeared like he hadn't acted a day in his life yeah in this movie he's back to that kind of NYPD blue f- form. Unfortunately, the movie didn't get a wide enough audience no, when no. it first came out. It was like a, it was just the next horror movie that came out. Right. And there's a lot more to this movie than MCI. Uh, than so Caruso is the guy I was impressed with in this. Uh, and then uh, Peter Mullen. Yeah. Peter Mullen is the, the main character, Gordon Fleming. He's in charge of this asbestos crew. Yeah. And he's, he's having a, a little bit of tension in his marriage. It took quite a long time for them to have a child. And now they're in the early stages where nobody's getting any sleep and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. One and thing that I liked about his
1: casting is that they, they kept his Scottish accent. Yes. Because he's such a great actor. And so they, to bring him over... And then they also mentioned, just offhand, like, yeah, well, he cleans asbestos here. He used to do it over there. Just meant, meant like, yeah, he yeah. did the same thing in Europe. But now he's here, and it's like, oh, okay. And then now it makes sense, as opposed to him trying to scrub his accent. Because um, so I really liked him, and in, in, he was in train spotting, yes. Mother Superior. Yeah. And he has a great little role in Children of Men. Yes. Um, he play Sid, the, the strange prison guard. And so, yeah, I'm glad that he got to keep the accent. But yeah, he carries a good portion of this and movie.
0: He had, uh, just to, to mention another thing I, I saw him in fairly recently, was the second season of Westworld. Okay. And he carries and You may not have seen it. I, I really recommend that show. It, it was kind of like an extended guest spot yeah. over several episodes, but he steals every single scene he's in. Right. And I was like, oh, that guy. Yeah, I've seen him in a lot of stuff, but then I, I can never place his name. Yeah, And then I, when I went back to watch this, uh, this movie, I, I wanted to uh, sort of get... Embed that like and really shout out Peter Mullen. Him and Caruso are absolutely terrific. Yeah, they're a great pairing. It's a really good pairing. And they're longtime friends and there's a certain connection they have. But then there's this... Through, throughout this week where they're working on this place, there's this paranoia that starts to develop. And right. which one of these guys can we trust? So it, I don't want to spoil too right, much. Right. Really, if you have not seen this movie and this, this hasn't been watched by a lot of people uh just please watch it maybe well if we decide to go into spoilers we'll we'll warn you but if we don't if we can do the review without that would be great yeah and there's some great
1: the one thing i thought was interesting is the title Section nine yeah being based on the tapes that one of the characters mike is listening to and i realized that the tapes aren't directly linked to the plot as much as they are about building this tension this growing Dread throughout the week as this one guy is obsessed with listening to these interviews. Um, I believe the guy's name Mike is played by Stephen Giveidon. Gevadon, yeah, yeah, who was the co-author of the film?
0: Yeah, and he co-wrote it with, uh, I believe, uh, with the director.
1: Yeah, and so yeah, there's and there's some great little character pieces in this as well. So, but yeah, it's it's a it's a smarter smarter horror film, and I really appreciate that. It get it, pushes away a lot of the tropes that one might expect and it's not by the numbers instead it is very much this
0: slow drawing out of tension which is which is great to see the one thing i do want to mention and it's overtly mentioned in the like the supplementary documentary that comes with the um with the blu-ray i have of it is that it was very much inspired by the shining and you can see some, the structure and the location yeah. is comparable to The Shining. It's interesting, though. My first reaction to this film was much more positive than it was with Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah, yeah. The thing that the movie that,
1: or the piece of this sort of reminded me of, although it's um, a, a little bit different in storytelling, is a, a TV miniseries called The Kingdom, um, which was from the Dutch series. Uh, about Kingdom Hospital. It was a, a I think it was a four-five episode miniseries about this, essentially a haunted hospital. Mm-hmm. And then it was later on it was adapted for North America and it was called Kingdom Hospital. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, hospitals and asylums are great settings for yeah. this type of story. And so, yeah.
0: and especially when it's abandoned. Yes. Like the, the uh, yeah, the isolation of the piece. But I think that again, the the, the key difference here between most yeah. horror movies is what you mentioned there. With most of it is in daylight, yeah, and and the lighting it's it's, it's quite well photographed as well. Um, using the setting is uh, we just see the sun shining in, yeah, throughout. And there are scenes on the roof where we can sort of see um, those those aerial shots, yes, also of the of the whole landscape of. It's really unique. Uh, yeah, and there, really are some, unique.
1: there are some very frightening just little set pieces like the stairwell with all the chain link or the, the one scene where uh, you see this hall, this long corridor and it's lined with hospital gowns. But each gown has gloves on it as well. and It's like, well, there's nothing inherently frightening about a hospital gown, but just seeing in that mm-hmm. particular shot as, a, you know, or the our poor, one of our characters who has nyctophobia and as the lights are, because of the generators is cutting out and it's starting to swallow him literally and it's really well crafted for you know working with what they have
0: do you have any criticisms of it?
1: Uh, honestly no nothing jumped out at me and said like well I, I don't care for this like it was it was just a a very smart movie from beginning to end um, great uh, misdirection yes in terms of you know, little moments here that get you thinking this way and then, you know, um, and, and how it all s- is spun out. I, I can't criticize anything. Mm-hmm. It yeah. It doesn't jump out. I, I'm,
0: I'm reaching, I'm reaching here. I mean, I, I, I think if you have seen The Shining, some things will seem familiar, <laughs> mm-hmm. but this is like a totally different context yeah. with the plot twist. And I'm not going to say what the plot twist right. is watching back and I, I think I still need to watch it again and watch it back and this is a very rewatchable horror yeah. movie I mean I watched it at night it gave me the creeps yeah. and for a second round of watching a movie for that yeah. to it to work that way um, speaks to how good it is one of the um, murders that happens right. and how it's laid out uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me Based mm-hmm. on who we find out would have committed it, and maybe yeah. you know what I'm talking yeah. about yeah, here. Yeah, what you're talking about. Uh, given some previous scenes that these char- the two characters have yeah. with each other, it just it just simply doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, but that's a pretty picky thing. With, it, is. Uh, it is. And I, I just I did not I came to this movie very late because I just uh, it seems like we were we just had too many horror movies. Yeah in that decade and at that time and it was just it didn't look like it was going to be anything special but more and more people should see this one yeah
1: yeah I I I clocked this movie when I used to live near uh, a video store that specialized in cult films Hmm. and so just walking in the the cover just sort of draws your eye because it's not a typical um horror movie cover it's it's uh um It's almost Fincher esque in the way it looks, and the the idea of the the way it uses browns and golds and hair and there and and just to make it all like it pops visually. And so I decided, like, okay, well, finally, I'll. And it was not at all what I was expecting, but it was a very pleasant surprise. The Fincher comparison
0: is 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 a good one because doesn't overstay. It's welcome. Right. Uh, It it shows and creeps us out with what's happening in the shadows more than. Being like overt. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you want to hack for, Pickle? I can't sleep nights. There's point out there just for that. Yeah, I know, I tried that. So, what do you do now? You know, ride around nights mostly, subways, buses. Figure, you know, I'm gonna do that, I might as well get paid for it. Travis, you run all over town, don't you? Yeah. I mean, you handle some pretty rough customers, here. Yeah, yeah. You carry a piece? No. You need one? No. 12 hours of work, and I still can't sleep. Damn. Days go on and on. They don't end. got you down? Yeah, I got me real down. Real. I just want to go out. Uh... I really... No, I really want to... I got some bad ideas in my head. I just... Why won't you talk to me? Why don't you answer my calls when I call you? You think I
1: don't know you're here? Let's not have any I trouble. You think I don't know? You think I don't know? Would you please leave? your yeah. hands off. Okay, then leave, okay? i want you to know that I know. Or let's not have any trouble. Please, just...
0: The idea had been growing in my brain for some time. True Force. All the King's men cannot put it back together again. All right, not to show you too many of my cards ahead of time, but um, I, I will start off by saying that Hands Down Taxi Driver is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I might be. Overly biased right. towards yeah. this film and, and in this list and this is quite a strong list in my yeah, opinion of films filming. When I call it a classic, I think it's beyond a classic every time I've seen Taxi Driver I've been affected in some way mm-hmm. and this last time was was no different Right. Travis Bickle is a Vietnam veteran who is uh, driving cab um, during the graveyard shift through Manhattan in the mid '70s, and very much there's a parallel between that time in New York City and hell. Yeah, and it's like he's a cab driver in hell, watching the worst of humanity, and it is affecting him. Yeah, this is a New York a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, and it's a different than the New
1: York of now. That's yeah, for sure. yeah, and and it really shows you the work of people like Rudy Giuliani in terms of. The re reinventing of New York as this great tourist thing. This is New York before uh, um, gentrification. Yes. That there's this you know this this bleakness to it where there's these taxi drivers, but they're like, hey, there's neighborhoods they won't even go into. And
0: our main character is like, no, wherever. I'll go wherever, wherever. I, I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. So Robert De Niro plays Travis Bickle, and it is to me absolute perfection it is as good as you can get with film mm-hmm. acting a lot of people will say Raging Bull this is his best performance mm-hmm. I I lean towards this one a little bit more There's no doubt they're both great performances and in a, a career which has had many many great performances including the Irishman recently, which I think right. was quite underrated. Uh, the other two main uh, main leads got Oscar nominations and attention, but De Niro centered that three and a half hour yeah. epic. But there's just there's there's something where you just see this this train wreck happening. Joaquin Phoenix recently won Best Actor for right. Joker. Yeah, I think Joker, the whole film, and Joaquin himself owes a debt to taxi Absolutely. driver yeah. and to De Niro's uh, performance I'm glad
1: you mentioned that because uh, I mean in reading some recent reading about taxi driver the the filmmaker who I, sorry I don't know the name who wrote Joker mentioned like yeah I definitely took cues from taxi driver and Todd Phillips yeah. yeah and there's moments where even if you look at the Joker in some of his dialogue he matches the cadence and the speech pattern, pattern of de Niro in this. And so, yeah, it was and it was an interesting movie re-watching it because I'd watched this movie in the 90s after following the, I guess would be the 20th anniversary, sort of that re-resurgence of that.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, so watching it today, I was just like, I wonder... Part of me said, could they make this movie today? And then realizing, well, yeah, they did.
0: They, they did in, in a way, way and yeah. they could do it under the the guise of the the superhero yeah with universe yeah and that just, which well. is a lot it's a lot less about the superhero like towards the end it is in joker that but, how, but yeah. how they do it yeah and and no doubt J- joker is very disturbing yes and it disturbed me plus there was somebody who was in the audience that wasn't that far off from uh, the psyche of joker right which added a certain level to yeah. my experience there but I, I, I'm not sure with the the overt racism that uh, Travis Bickle, as well as several other right. characters have. Yeah. I don't think yeah. that they would greenlight a film with that. They're they're a um, product of their time. The child prostitute played yeah. by Jodie Foster, uh, and I it's just what a great performance there, yeah. uh, and how all of that was handled and the way that they you know talked to her. You know, she was coming off of kind of Disney movies before yeah. this. I, I'm not sure they would be able to do it in quite the same way right now. I mean, right. I know that the idea is that like 12-year-olds have grown up and are not as the same as 1976 12-year-olds, but yeah. it's, there's a scene with Harvey Keitel and Jodie Foster yeah. as well that I don't think they could get away with yeah, and as it's, well.
1: It, it's an interesting, like, in rewatching the movie, like, not to get into any kind of identity politics, but... You know, looking at this film, I realized that the De Niro character, Travis Bickle, would be labeled as what they call an incel. These, which are, you know, young men or even older men who have been deemed involuntarily celibate and they have awkward social lives, especially when it comes to dating. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at some of the way in which he approaches the... uh, um, character played by civil shepherd Betsy and that first thing he does is he stalks her you know just hanging outside of the, the campaign office where she works and then eventually he goes in and, and asks her out and she agrees which is remarkable um, and then takes her out for a you know pie and you want to go see a movie and then takes her to a, a takes her to film. yeah a porno theater thing. Yeah. he's like well lots of people come here and then just not Understanding and then the, the rage that builds up when she doesn't want to see him again, and then you start to see a little bit of that downward spiral. It's like, okay, well, I can't take it out on you. What do you love? Oh, you love this guy running for president. Okay, well, I'm gonna kill him. Mm-hmm. And that, that the way his he sort of reinvents himself as this uh, rebuilds himself as this killer gets the guns and spends a lot of time focusing on how to get that quick that quick release of that one particular pistol. Mm -hmm. You get the famous line, you know, in the the mirror, you're talking to me and everything like that. And I was like, that's... And and so, again, looking at it from a modern context, it's like, that's really interesting. The way we would look at him now as this... He's the villain, in a way. That this is a guy who is, you know, from a, a contemporary standpoint, damaged, but... At the same time, is, is very dangerous. But back in the '90s, Travis Bickle was a folk hero. When you look at the way mm-hmm. in which, uh, especially like, the the movie is interesting in that it, it did well in terms of uh, critics and it did well in terms of you know, Academy Awards and every, everything else. But also became as a, well as it could have, though. as well as it could have. But also became a cult movie. Yes, that's and. True survived by being part of the midnight movie circuit in places like universities and art houses and what have you. And I remember in the nineties being a university student and going to poster shops or at the U of S university, they would have these big poster sets. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, there's, you know, uh, Nighthawks, there's, you know, these standard posters, there's Dolly, there's this. And of course there's multitudes of Travis Bickle posters Mm -hmm. And you know, whether it was him with the mohawk or him holding a gun or whatever, and he became like this icon for young men, just as where it was like it was cool to put a Clint Eastwood poster in your, your bedroom or whatever, and mm-hmm. that was Travis Bickle. And like I said he kind of became almost like a folk hero. And another thing that you started to see is he became an icon in for for punk music. And punk subculture, yeah, and like in, in teaching media studies and spending a lot of time looking at these sorts of things, um, the certain certain sections of the hip hop community really embraced movies like Scarface and yes, uh, uh, the Godfather, because there were movies that looked at violence and materialism, but punk and hardcore they embraced Taxi Driver. Because it was about violence and nihilism, mm-hmm. and you started to see how the maybe it's just the, even the fact that got wear the guy wears a mohawk, but this embracing of Travis Bickle's image and uh, as being attached to to punk music, it was really interesting because I remember when I watched the film the first time, it had been after I had become obsessed with Brandon Lee's The Crow,
0: yeah,
1: and obsessed with the soundtrack to that, that movie. And there's a song on the soundtrack called The Badge. And in the soundtrack it's done by Pantera. But looking up recently it was originally a cover, it was originally done by a, a punk band called Poison Idea. And the song begins with a noise a sound clip from the movie. And it's where Bickle confronts uh, Sport, the pimp. Yes. And he says the line, you know, suck on this, bang, and then you hear sport go oh 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 and then yeah. the song begins and then it ends with more sounds from the movie and so i just remember like that's i heard the song so many times i'm like that's where that that's the sound clip comes from and then later on looking into all this sort of thing it starts to make sense like yeah like the character became you know bigger than the movie almost for, I think, people, a lot of people in the 90s. Like, we just they loved the, the idea. Um, if you go on Google Image, just type in fashion designer Travis Bickle. And there are lines of clothing that fashion designers have made. You know, you see all these guys. There's one, one site I found with all these people on a runway in Milan. And it's just guy after guy dressed in variations of Travis Bickle's outfit. And the idea of him being this icon of tough individualism, you know, uh, uh, this this vigilante who stands up for, you know, this this poor teenage prostitute. But then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, he is so damaged. No.
0: This is not a hero. And yet that's this is what we get, you know. I, I think and you mentioned Scarface as well, with there can be a bit of a misinterpretation with Scarface, yeah, and also with Travis Bickle. Um, I think Taxi Driver did a little bit better than Scarface when it was first released. Scarface yeah. became, after the fact, quite quite big. Yeah. Uh, and I have heard this connection to, um, you know, with gangster rap and how mm-hmm. they always identify with Tony Montana.
1: Yeah.
0: But they don't seem to recognize like he doesn't take crap from anybody. Yeah. But what happens to him at the end? Yeah. Is And with. The Bickle one, there's a lot of... Uh, there are people, and it led to controversies at the years after with this film. Yeah. Some people that took him to be a hero. Yeah. And that he he did right. I mean, yes, if we just mention, okay, he is saving a, uh, a 12-year-old prostitute from a pimp. Yeah. Then you could see that as, yeah, he, he did something quite noble, you know. But everything before that... And the very last shot, which yes. Scorsese and screenwriter Paul Schrader made sure that was in there, it's like this guy isn't all right. No, no, he's no. still wandering around, and not nothing has changed. It seems yeah. like he's grown. He really has not changed by the end of the film. Yeah. So uh, the person who uh, who attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan was an enormous fan of this movie. Yeah, and. He had a certain level of psychosis where he believed that, that Ronald Reagan uh, had they had kidnapped Jodie Foster um, and and that she was, you know, into prostitution or something like right. that. Because she was off at an Ivy League school at this time and she hadn't been in movies for a while. And he started to think what happened in Taxi Driver was really happening because there's, you know... At a certain point, Bickle wants to assassinate this politician who isn't necessarily that corrupt a politician. We don't really know a whole lot about no, the guy no. other than the fact that Sybil Shepard and, and Albert Brooks... Yeah. Another really interesting choice. Scorsese does this. He'll put these comedians in yeah. uh, some of his dark films Yeah, uh, that they you know, just happen to, to work on a campaign for this guy. But this viewer saw Bickle as a hero, and as a role model, and that he needed to do do what Travis Bickle did, is he needed to go rescue Jodie Foster by trying to assassinate the President of the United States. Yeah. And then there was all this hate in the 90s towards this film that it is... Um, and there have been a whole series of movies like this where somebody has uh, committed a criminal action and has watched a movie a whole lot and then the question is okay are the filmmakers responsible yeah. and everybody was coming out and saying Travis Bickle is not a hero yeah at no point were we trying to portray him as a hero in this film and I think it's just a misinterpretation of what happens in the third act of the, yeah. of the yeah. movie I mean it he he is scary he is scary and Scorsese actually says that they decided to shoot this movie as a horror movie yeah it's not it's traditionally labeled as a horror movie but it is horrific what yep. goes on and uh,
1: they didn't position him as a hero but it's interesting to see how people took him yeah you know just and I imagine if they stopped right now and were to re-watch it they'd be like well oh, wait a minute maybe just the contemporary you know the way we we sort of rethink these things in terms of relationships and what have you um, another movie that I, I wrote down the name of because I think it took uh, also some cues from taxi driver was falling down yes and that that was an interesting one because that one I remember the marketing for that portraying Michael Douglas's character as a hero mm-hmm. and it was well how are we going to market this movie well this is the guy who wants to do everything we would wish we could yeah and so they kind of almost had like this wacky quirky kind of um, edge edge to the the, the, the marketing and then I watched the movie and I'm like oh this is not Funny. It it is is, disturbing. He is disturbing. Mm -hmm. He's a disturbed individual. This is a tragedy, and so, but then after a while, people like, oh yeah, I love that movie. Especially love what he does. It's like you're you're missing the point. I guess the 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 psychosis that happens. So uh, yeah, it's an interest like this movie Taxi Driver is so interesting to re-watch every few years just to kind of
0: see it with a new lens and a new perspective. And uh, yeah, and I, yeah. And I always want to see—is it going to affect me again? And, yeah. and it always does. One thing that was interesting in—I um, I rewatched because I, things were very familiar, so I must have watched this documentary yeah. before. Uh, one thing they they mentioned about the the the, uh, the psychology behind Travis Bickle is that he he actually, whether he's consciously aware of it or not, he he destroys relationships. Yeah. So somewhere in there he knows that if he takes Sybil Shepherd to this porno theater, that she's gonna break up with him. Yeah. But that confirms his his worldview that he is alone yeah. and he can't trust anybody. And this, so this war <coughs> takes on against society and just yeah. everybody in the world is sick and disturbed and impure and he needs to he needs to kill them all and, and start over and there's there's so many religious um, allusions in Scorsese films, yeah. and I, I think that was because uh, even an you, interesting idea that you know to to wash away the sins of this yeah. city, which has become kind of a Sodom and Gomorrah type of a a place where where anything goes. Yeah, but I, he, I, I, he's I, not looking in the mirror at himself, and that he is, he yeah, if just as bothered. And I was him. thinking like if if the relationship with
1: you know, with Betsy had worked out. Now, let's say he doesn't take her to that theater. Let's say he just you know takes took her to down. a Disney movie or something. Yeah, and then she's like, "Well, let's go back to your place. His house, his apartment is not set up for company. <laughs> it's oh no, um, it's a frightening pit. So it's like, what are you doing here, kid? Um, yeah, um,
0: yeah. At some point, <laughs> I, so you're I right. Wouldn't have
1: worked out. And, yeah, and yeah. so you're right. He is they they're destined to fail, and so that he can he can lash out. Yeah. Another phrase I just wrote down, I just said, it's, it's a story of also of desolate night people. Yes. And, you know, these different people who emerge, and some of his fellow cab drivers and, and the, the way that these, these people sort of exist in this alternate life that so many of us don't see. Peter
0: Boyle playing wizard, uh, more yeah. people would know him as the, the father from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. But he yeah. had quite a, uh, quite a filmography of, of R-rated serious films yeah. like this. Yeah. I also want to do a shout-out here to screenwriter Paul Schrader, right. who's a right. filmmaker in his own right. He did three collaborations with Scorsese. This was the first. He also wrote the screenplay for Raging Bull and The Last Temptation of Christ. But he's, he's made some really, really interesting films on his mm-hmm. own, too. Uh, but they will often follow this kind of pattern of somebody who... It's just like, I'm not sure you call it an ordinary citizen, but a mm-hmm. citizen who is going through some sort of a, a, a moral crisis. Yeah. And then starts to deal with it in perhaps the wrong ways. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 re- I love the writing. I love the direction. I absolutely love the acting, the casting choices. Yeah. It, it's, it feels a lot more like an independent film from Scorsese. It's, yeah. it's less polished. And he has, Scorsese has his own interesting
1: little role yes. in the movie, which is just this, you know... Oh, this, it's, that's frightening. That's a scary moment with this jilted husband. And, you know, you realize that he is he himself is a, a pretty interesting, interesting actor. He is. And um, that was all last minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, there's one, one novel that I like to teach when I teach grade 12 is uh, World War Z. Yes. And in the audio version of World War Z, Martin Scorsese has an interesting role as a horribly corrupt um, pharmaceutical executive. And so, you know, he himself has got his own acting chops when he's allowed to play. Oh, he can act. Yeah. So yeah, it was yeah. It's it's yeah, it's, it, but it's a very frightening little role that he he drops in. But the, uh, there's an
0: actor who was supposed to play that role who got sick or something, okay. couldn't shoot it on that weekend. Right. So I think almost like the day before or something like that, Scorsese went in there and and, and took over the role. Yeah. And the play between uh, De Niro and Scorsese, yeah. like, I mean, that's a, the, the heart of the film. That's just a, a standalone piece that bothers me so much. Yeah. What What he says... And what he's going to do to his wife, yeah. and it's interesting, he, he said he's going to inflict the violence on his wife, but his racist motivations for doing this, because yeah. his wife is having an affair with a black man, is the reason he's doing this. Yeah, It, it is an ugly, ugly performance from everything I can see. Like, Scorsese seems like quite a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm singing, singing praises here. I'll, I'll put it on you. Is there anything that you see as a flaw with this film? I don't think there's a flaw with the film I think the movie is
1: interesting in that it is a time capsule Mm -hmm. of and I think people need to understand when they watch the film just how it is a product of its time I mean it it is rewatchable of course Mm -hmm. like you don't look at it and go like this is dated it doesn't make sense but you need to understand what New York was like and you need to understand sort of um, his own version of PTSD and understanding you know the um, uh, again the, the idea of the, the rugged individualism and the way that you know he's, uh, his character develops so I think it's a, it's a great great movie but it's a movie that you know you, it, it's interesting to be a great film but at the same time not necessarily enjoyable No, because it hits you in so many no. ugly places so it's a, a great piece of art in that regard um The one other thing I wrote down, and I think it really summarizes the Bickle character, is Betsy says, you know what you are? You're a walking contradiction. Uh And that's in terms of being this perceived hero who is really not a good person. But you'll want to feel something for him.
0: He's got some sort of strange moral code. Yeah. But doesn't recognize how much he's breaking... Yeah.
1: And, and one thing I think was also book. nice, to, uh, an idea that was nice to include is the fact that he writes his parents. You know, and he, he writes yes. his folks and he says, look, I'm doing work for the government. I can't tell you where I am. Mm-hmm. But just know that I love you guys and that
0: I'm safe and everything's fine. And so... The voiceover him. narration for that's really interesting yeah. because it shows that he's not a great reader. Right. Or writer. Yeah. And there's all these moments where he's not picking up on things... In, in conversations yeah. with characters who are uh, somewhat smarter than he is, yeah, uh, it's it's really well done. I, I'm again I'm stretching to come up with some criticisms here. Uh, I don't think it's the filmmaker's fault that Travis Bickle has been considered a hero yeah this guy is an out and out villain i think in the 90s we were celebrating anti-heroes a lot yes 80s not so much these right. were protest the r-rated film yeah. and it's bad 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 because of what's happening yeah there's a little bit of that in the 90s but uh, among film fans are celebrating the anti-establishment anti-hero yeah now we're you know nearly a 45 year old film and now we can sort of Look at it for what it is. There's some things that might be viewed as dated if you just don't understand what was going on in the '70s. Yeah, and interesting.
1: Also, like uh, the the the, uh, the use of violence is something that even after decades of filmmaking. The the violence really hits at the end when he decides to storm this hot, this hotel. All
0: practical effects, all practical, and effects. very difficult
1: to achieve at that time. Yeah. yeah, and also not you know typical of what you would see in a typical action movie. Yeah. Just very this is oh this is the effect of a gunshot, and mm-hmm. even in the filmmakers when they were releasing the movie had to color colorize the the, mm-hmm. the blood so that it looked more orange. Um, like, well, can we change the color of the blood? So, which looks a little odd. And then later on putting the filters back. and. I I think it was going to get an X rating. Yeah. They they
0: didn't have, the rating system was G, PG, R, and X. There was no sort of an in-between type of thing at that time. Yeah. So it's Uh,
1: a, it's a movie that one should be sort of, you
0: know. The the one flaw, and I do think this is. Again, more seventies-ish, and you know, still as while well, all this horrible stuff is going on, mm-hmm. it was there's still a certain a more innocent time than now. Yeah, is why Sybil Shepherd agreed to go on this date. Yeah, but I think it's because there's so many quirky people, and she yeah. was just fascinated by like this guy was kind of unique, his sense of humor. Yeah. she wanted to see how this would play out there might be a theory that in some way she's trying to make the Albert Brooks character jealous that there's this budding romance between them and then yeah. if there's another man who shows interest in her that might get him to sort of stand up and like ask her out. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just justifying it just watching it on its own though you just wonder because there's there's enough weird stuff he's doing beforehand Yeah. for her to not, not agree to go for coffee even for coffee with him. Yeah. And and the Brooks
1: character is interesting in that he is the quintessential nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, I don't want to... Not to belabor the term, but he's friend-zone. Yes, know, so he's, a friend zone guy, yeah. he's a friend-zone guy. He's a friend-zone guy, and he's just... You can tell, like, he just really wants to be with her, and there is... The bad boy out there. It so comes up and like, yeah,
0: go for coffee and pie with me, and I won't yeah. take no for an answer. And yeah, and and so she's like, okay, and then yeah. they realizes like, oh, this is a horrible mistake <laughs> later on. Yeah, and it gets worse and worse and worse because yeah. after this, he just keeps calling her and calling yeah. her and calling her, and, and but then at the end, you know, you can tell that because
1: the 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 last shot is, you know, or the last scene is the two of them. In the cab, and she's like, you know, I, I read about you in the paper, and and you can tell she's disappointed that he just drives away, and it's like, yeah, girl, you
0: have no idea how lucky you just got. Well, but now that he's a hero, a media hero, she's yeah. like, oh, he's he's interesting again. Yeah. But then, and then we have one more shot of him just looking at something in his rearview mirror, and it just Yeah. he seems all calm, and things have changed, but no, he. He switches gears immediately. Yeah. Fantastic film. Yeah.
1: Under the surface, there's a side to the city.
0: There is a night porter, African. He's some
1: kind of doctor. What kind of doctor? Where everything is for sale. No, 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 this is no, the no, wound no. of an operation. No, Where two innocent people will discover the price of freedom.
0: Each time you operate, you get 3000 A passport for you, and one for Chennai.
1: This lying, Chennai! You keep away from Senor Juan! In London, it's 10 grand. For that, people take risks. Everything they value... They will cut you here, or they will cut you here. Others are dead, Chennai! ...will be put at risk. What you and me are going to do is something good. I do not want to get involved. From Academy Award-nominated director Stephen Frears...
0: Now we move on to 2002, to a film called Dirty Pretty Things. Storyline on this one is Okwi is an illegal Nigerian immigrant leading a hard life, struggling to survive in London's underground. He works as a hotel receptionist at night, and he has a doctor degree. He practices some medicine illegally during the day. Uh, and then he must constantly escape from immigration officers. One day, Okwi discovers, by chance, an illegal scheme of surgeries is being led by Juan, his boss at the hotel. Juan quickly comes up with a tempting proposal. If Okwi uh, accepts to perform the illegal surgeries, he makes a lot of money and gets legalized situation in the UK. And the other piece in there that he's trying to do is he's trying to help out his friend Sene Gellick, played by uh, Audrey yeah. yeah. So that's uh, the general premise of Dirty Pretty Things. And this was a new movie to you? Yeah, I, this is not on my radar. Um,
1: and it's funny, I'm just looking at Watching this paired with Taxi Driver, and you realize okay, this is the difference between you know it, this this I would say the storyline is the same, but we're both we're both films look at the the sort of hidden the, the hidden economy of night people, yeah. and this I thought was a very interesting film looking at these the the lives of people who shouldn't officially exist, you know the illegal immigrants the uh, or illegal aliens the refugees who um, are, have, are seeking asylum, but they're not allowed to find work because they might be taking away someone's jobs, but so how do they survive? And you get a look into this underground economy that happens at night and the way that these people survive living uh, in London but off the grid and how they are able to, you know, work out a living. We have uh, our, our character, Okwe, and he is... Um, a night clerk in a, a hotel, but he's also a taxi driver. Um, he survives by, you know, hopping, basically couch surfing, living life by understanding sort of the people who are behind the scenes and knowing who to trust and how to, how to work with them.
0: And she did tell Eddie, Adio, Eddie, for, yeah, I, I always have to look that name up. So do I. I talked about uh, him recently, uh, 12 years a slave. Right. And, uh, I think he's kind of an underrated actor. Oh, still. absolutely. Yeah, he's not he's not the first person that they think of. And if you look at his, his work, it's been pretty solid. He's, he's yeah. also done some TV work. Yeah. We, we have a whole series of characters. It feels like an ensemble piece. Yes. A little bit more... I mean, Taxi Driver has an ensemble, but right. it is led by uh, De Niro's performance. Yep. Uh, Sophie o- Oconito um, yep. plays Juliet, who is a prostitute who... Works out of this hotel. Yes. Um, and we have a certain idea about her. I think early on, but then she becomes a very, uh, a very. There's many dimensions to that, right. that character. Yeah. Benedict Juan is this. Uh, is he a doctor. He's I a he's, a, he's a porter. yeah, no, he's a porter in the hospital. Yes. And he's able to able to, to get hold out. of pharmaceuticals here and there, yeah. or, or you know anything that uh, uh, Okwe needs
1: medically, because like you said, he's used. Almost as a de facto doctor to people who can't afford healthcare. Yeah. And so, you know, there's that wonderful scene where he, you know, they line up all these people who are driving taxis illegally, but they've all been seeing the same prostitute. Yeah. So he's, they all drop their drawers and he's got to check them all out.
0: And so. It starts with one person yeah. who is like kind of the, the, the main boss there. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. And then everybody's showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sergi López plays Juan, uh, who is this boss. If I could make a, a slight criticism uh, early in this the review, I think he's a little bit two-dimensional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's you know a mustache twitching type of villain. Yeah. Beginning to end, we don't get to see another side to that character, but we do get to see uh, different sides to all of these other people. Yeah.
1: It was interesting because when looking up the film. A term that was used to describe it is it's called a social thriller and i would never hmm. seen the term before and then in exploring the term it represented a thriller that it plays off of um, people who are oppressed yeah and uh, or, or thrillers based on class and so that's really what you see is that's part of the the tension here is that these are people who have unique problems because they can't reach out to the police they can't reach out to you know law enforcement or or they're they they can not reach out to the safety net that exists out there for regular citizens. They have unique problems, and as a result, they have to come up with unique solutions. But uh, yeah, it was I like the fact that Benedict Wong was in this uh, as the porter, just because um, the two of them, Edge of Four and Wong, would later be reunited in uh, Doctor Strange. That's uh, right in the MCU, and That's so. Right. Yeah, and and he the Wong character would go on to have this great, great, uh, um, great arc himself in appearing in you know Avengers Endgame and then, uh, uh, and then Infinity War just his little little moments. Uh, it's good to see him in that. But yeah, I thought this was, in in many ways, it's a counter to Taxi Driver, mm. in that it is about these the the night people. But what sets Oakway apart from Bickle is. That He's got heart and this isn't a man who is Dealing with the you know, he's got his own psychological issues. That's basically on stress Um, There's one line that I wrote down that uh, Says there's nothing so dangerous as a virtuous man And so it's what would I don't say this is what Travis Bickle would be like if he was virtuous But there is an interesting difference between this this guy who's always trying to do the right thing and, you know, trying to help out the, the Shania character. The one thing I will criticize, and it's I don't think it's any fault of the filmmaker, but the cover of the DVD is really misleading. Uh, uh, yes. Because, yes. I, and I don't know if this was the... It looks either. like a
0: serial killer well, yeah, movie or something. And I don't
1: even know if this is the original poster for the film. But, I think it was, yeah. But if you look at this, the Audrey Tutu's character, Shania she is not this sultry vixen that you see on the cover of this film (laughs) I know and she's like she never even in the cover of the movie you see her like with red lipstick and Mm -hmm. she's either wearing like a very skimpy dress or nothing at all and that is so not her she's
0: a very virtuous character who's trying to protect her morals yeah um she's Muslim yeah and uh she's finding herself in in abusive situations yeah uh working in this um this, this factory, uh, there's this, this boss that, uh, you know, after the immigration people start uh, uh, coming around to see yeah. if she's actually working, yeah. who blackmails her, um, for oral sex. Yeah. Uh, and then there's this whole, the, the, the hotel manager as well, who, yeah. uh, abuses her. She resists this and fights this as much as she can. Yeah. And it's, um, actually heard her, her story is quite tragic she was coming on off of the success of Amelie right and so I in the in the documentaries they talk about like a, they felt it was a real coup to be able to get her yeah. into this film and I can sort of understand she was the biggest name in the cast why they're featuring her in there but yeah the the it's message not, of the cover yeah it's not makes it story. seem like it's gonna be a totally different movie yeah and I think maybe that's why I, I didn't watch in theaters I, I, but I did watch it because it was up for a writing academy award. That was yeah. the only one. So I, I was interested to to find out about it, and I, I think I I was going in with the mindset that it was some sort of a a, a thriller. Yeah. And, and it was about something completely different. Yeah. Uh, like, like I actually appreciated it more because it's and uh, you yeah, know this is uh, similar to Session Nine, a, a movie that I'm not sure a lot of people have seen. Maybe yeah. even less people have seen this one. Yeah.
1: And um, but but yeah, like this is a film that Chauvel carries you know 90% of the film and um, I, I liked his role as almost a um, I, I thought he was going to end up being kind of a, um, almost like a coroner because mm-hmm. of the how the, the movie starts off with this real intriguing moment where you know someone says hey well there's a toilet that's clogged in the hotel and he's a clerk yeah. so he goes up and uh, there's something in the toilet so he reaches down and pulls out a human heart yeah what
0: an intriguing way yeah. to start a film by the way yeah it just Hitchcockian almost. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely. And then I'm like, okay, where are we going now? Yeah. Um, and then it's, don't worry about it. It's just one of those things. And it's like, what? It's like, oh, hey, you can phone the police. Go ahead. And it's like, well, no, I can't because I'm not supposed to be here even yeah. now. And it's like, oh, dear. And so, yeah, the, the mystery is, is is nice. And then you find out about, oh, yeah, the illegal organ harvesting. And it's nice that he's a, he's a doctor. So he's able to sort of see... Uh, help out here and there where he finds these different patients who are suffering because these these surgeries have been done so slapdash and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, and I like the um, the Juliet character. She was a good character to bring in, yes, just for comic relief. Even mm-hmm. just her whole attitude and another character who unfortunately didn't I didn't write his name down, but the bellhop, the guy at the, who stands out in front. Um, yeah that,
0: I, I'm, I'm going to look his name up right now yeah he,
1: he was also a fun little fun little character to throw in there but yeah the, I, I was not I was very surprised by the movie again the cover threw me um, but it, it was uh, it was actually a well crafted little film and it resolves itself in a great way you know the, the way the, the the conflict at the end is is like oh how are we going to how are we going to fix this and like I said, it's unique problems these mm-hmm. people have, and they find the uh, incredibly unique solution, which which I loved.
0: Um, Ivan was the character's name. I'm yes. gonna butcher. I'm gonna butcher this man's name. Yeah. Zaleko Burik. Yeah. Burek, I think, is the actor's name. What What a great film performance, and, yeah. and taking a role yeah. which could be kind of forgettable and making it um, every moment he's in interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, and it's interesting. Look, I. I
1: another line I wrote down It's one of the lines that this wonderful speech that Oakway gives at the end and when someone asks well like I've never seen you before and he's like well we're the ones you don't see you know mm-hmm. we're, the te- we're the cab drivers we're the people who clean your rooms yeah. you're not supposed to see us and it sort of reminds me of the upstairs downstairs or even yeah. the, the Downton Abbey idol, that, that kind uh, of thing uh, yeah you know except for this is a generation later a generation later, and or a, generation sure, later or a couple and, generations and, later yeah, yeah. and a a, a hidden hidden group of people who are the, these immigrants and these people who are just sort of marginalized and how they survive. And so it's, it's, it's funny because it takes place in London, but you never, it doesn't feel like you see any of the regular life of London. This is all underground and not not physically underground Mm -hmm. necessarily, but this is all a, it's a hidden, a hidden population. Well, if you
0: if you're in London or any major city, you yeah. see all of these businesses. Yeah. It's like, oh, who who who's in these businesses yeah. and what's happening? is there's always an underground or a back room, and we we get to see part of that here. Yeah. Uh, very well, it's a subtle job. Stephen Frears, like his resume is really diverse and impressive. Things like High Fidelity and um, uh, Florence F- Foster Jenkins, like these comedies. Yeah. Mixed in with the grifters and yeah. uh, and and this movie and and the queen. I mean, he's uh, really uh, really interesting, strong filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, it's a well-written film. I also like it, it does have a potential love story yeah. in there, but it's handled really really well. Yeah, because you, you think it could go a couple different ways. Yeah, it goes the way that it should based on the story yeah uh, it didn't feel like an add-on as much as right. it, it made sense to me yeah it wasn't contrived it was re- yeah authentic yeah yeah so again uh, I, we're we're singing the praises of these yeah. films but they are very good movies yes. and i if you haven't seen dirty pretty things please check it out yeah. section five speed it up fall one Five. More speed. How do you feel about our next film might relate to how you feel about silent films. It's modern times. This is the last time that uh, Charlie Chaplin had his, his tramp character. Right. And um, it was also his last silent film and uh it, it does have some sound effects uh it was the very first time chaplin's voice was ever heard um late in the film there's this nonsense song right which he he sings and that's actually chaplin's voice and that was the first time that we heard it so uh his tramp character is battling the modern society the machine age and progress he's trying to keep up a, a production line uh tightening bolts at an insane pace that he can't he can't, he doesn't have time to eat lunch, uh, and he, he starts to have a nervous breakdown because of this. Selected for an experiment on an uh, automatic feeding machine, and there's various mishaps that leads his boss to believe he has gone mad. And he's sent to uh, a mental hospital, which is not handled that sensitively at that particular time. Uh, he gets out. He's mistaken for being a communist because he accidentally ends up at, a, at, a, at a, brilliant yeah, a, a march, brilliant uh, uh, this, this strike, yeah. uh, waving a red flag that he's sent to jail for that. He uh, foils a jailbreak, and he's let out again, and he goes through several escapades uh, with uh, this other woman uh, uh, called the, the Gammon, played by Paulette Goddard, who was, uh, I believe, his wife. Or girlfriend at the time that they they shot the movie, and that's Modern Times. It is considered a classic. One more Joker reference in this episode. Um, One of the great ironies, something I appreciated in watching Joker, is we see all of the richest people in Gotham City uh, at this screen of Modern Times, and they're laughing and having a good time, smoking their cigars, not recognizing the entire piece. Yeah. is a satire criticizing uh, their lifestyle and how they treat workers yeah it, it was an interesting
1: <clears throat> interesting movie for me because it was the first time i'd seen a charlie chaplin film oh, okay and yet you know who charlie chaplin is yeah like he's just he's as iconic as marilyn monroe and you're like oh that's marilyn monroe have you seen, how many movies of yours have you seen it's like well none you don't have to you just know it's her and so this is the first time for me to actually sit down and watch a Charlie Chaplin film and I was pleasantly surprised how much I
0: enjoyed it. Oh, good. Um, this was one I was nervous about.
1: Yeah, my like when I was a when I was real young, there was uh, a TV show that was that would air on Sundays when I was a kid, and it was uh, a show dedicated to Harold Lloyd. And oh, yes. Harold Lloyd, along with Buster Keaton, he those three sort of make up the, the trinity of The comedic silent actors and Harold Lloyd's movies were chopped into little twenty-minute segments, and so that there was this spun out as a a, you know Sunday morning TV show to watch, and so um, yeah. But what what caught me about this film is that I was really surprised how uh, how cheeky, racy, and subversive it was. (laughs) It sure was. You know, like I was not expecting. Like you, you, I can appreciate the, the 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 physical comedy while he's sitting there frantically tightening these bolts. But then he starts to break down and one of his fellow workers comes over and chastises him. So he takes his wrenches and he tweaks them on the nipples, like tightens his chest. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes out and he's tightening everything. And then you see this woman walking down the street oh, yeah. and she's got buttons on her body, like on her on the end of her breasts that look like the bolts. And so he starts following her. And I was like, well, this is 1936. Yeah, like, this is it so is. Smart. There's a like great a great joke about you know a fellow prisoner who smuggles in cocaine and yes so he, that's right temporarily gets covered in coke and <laughs> like i if you told me like yeah Charlie we'll chaplin film where he uh, gets mistaken for a communist and he's this great sequence involving cocaine i'd be like what are <laughs> I, mean, I was not expecting that but no yeah.
0: it, it all the physical comedy is there i'm not the biggest yeah. physical comedy fan You're right but it's for a purpose yes and I think, yeah. you, know, it, it, you know, the three you mentioned, probably my favorite is actually Buster Keaton. Okay. Just because he was so deadpan uh, yeah. and everything he took was, was, it was so serious. There are points where the tramp almost somehow knows that he's involved with these ridiculous situations. Right. But Buster Keaton it was like the concentration De Niro had playing Dra- Travis Bickle yeah. is what Keaton would have in, in, in his films. Um, but what I like about Chaplin is that he was a bit more political. Yes, and he had been labeled as a communist because he was against fascism. Yeah, and he saw Nazism start to uh, rear its ugly head in Europe yeah. before uh, people realized what it was, and he spoke out against it. When he spoke out against it, he he was given that label of being a communist, and he believed in in workers' rights. So this this whole business of like the how unsafe these work factories were. And yeah. these workplaces, and so the famous shot is hit him getting caught up in the machinery yeah, and, I, and getting I, I, caught up in the system. Sorry, I did probably uh, it's a great. Mo- yeah, it's yeah. one of the
1: sequences I wrote down. So it's yeah. a great scene where you just see him go right through the gears and he gets spit back out. And the automatic feeding machine is also yes. these great moments. So yeah. it, it's a lot of fun, very inventive. Yeah, and and you realize that as you're watching this film, like, oh yeah, it's to me, it felt like something that was designed to be chopped into little little vignettes and little moments. And so you could watch it episodically, almost. But but yeah, it, it had great moments like that, and the moment where he accidentally leads a communist revolution because <laughs> so... a passing truck drops its flag, and he's like, "You lost, you lo- lost your flag," you lost and he's, he's flag. chasing after that, yeah, and all these people, the people are behind so, him, uh, and it's like, of course.
0: Oh, yeah. You know. So beautifully blocked. The timing is yeah. perfect. Yeah. Uh, like, Men really was despite whatever whatever else about Chaplin but he yeah. he was a genius for sure and the, the one, one idea I loved is the effect
1: that he how much he loves prison yes you know well it's like, yeah that's a sad commentary yeah, yeah yeah and it reminded me of a great piece by Kurt Vonnegut who wrote this great sci-fi piece called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow which is a, a one of his looks at um, overpopulation and it's about family who you know gets into this big brawl because of overpopulation and they all this brawl is so big they get sent to jail and they love it because you get to stretch out and they get like a bed <laughs> each one of them and they get food and everything like that and one of the guards is like hey if you tell anybody how good prison is you're never getting back do you understand and so I love the moment where he walks and I was like you've got this letter now you can get a job and he's like <laughs> I kind of like it here there's the guards are nice to talk to I got a place that they feed me why would I want to leave yeah Yeah. so it, it's some very clever ideas like that
0: there, there was also um, an animated Pink Panther and that's the only thing I remember yeah. about animated Pink Panther that I saw one time where the Pink Panther is just trying it's the holiday season and keeps trying yeah. to get put into prison because yeah. of how well fed they are in, yeah. in the prison and, yeah, it, it very much rem- reminded me of that. Yeah. I, I, I like the love story. There's something really sweet about it, yeah. too. And we just talked about another movie where, like, this one's a bit schmaltzier, I would yeah. say, than the other one. But, again, it, 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 it adds some some layer to the film. Yeah. The only thing that I thought was odd, and I
1: don't even want to call it a criticism, really, but just at the end where it's like, we're poor, but and who cares? We'll be fine. <laughs> and yeah. that's like
0: that's it they don't well i i feel like it's they're they're taking a look at points and there's the fantasy sequences where they see the traditional suburban yeah. life where they have all the money yeah but they are not as creative yeah and so really they are creative people they are artists yeah and again this is a little bit of a comment on artists and, and chaplain being an artist but being scrutinized by society yeah. at that time but we have each other we are going to have fun even if we have nothing and we don't need all of these things. And again, so those wanting to label Chaplin a, a communist yeah. can take a look at well, criticizing the American dream through this. I, I use this movie when I taught media studies years yeah. ago to take a look at that concept of the American dream. Yeah. And he does it through a, a beloved character, again, that wouldn't get him into a lot of trouble yeah. versus uh, the, um, the Great Dictator got him into a lot of trouble, yeah. but also is another one of his classic films yes, where yes. he pretty much parodies Hitler yeah. many, many years before Mel Brooks ever did it. Yeah. Right? And like, actually during during the war and during the Holocaust is yeah. when that was released. And so I, I think all these people, like this is how Chaplin would get back at people, was, yeah. was with his art and his comedy. There was something to it as well in... in there's a sequence with
1: these this er, the ever watchful overseer, and so when I was writing notes down, I wrote like 1984 question mark." I'm like, mm-hmm. "Was he inspired by nineteen eighty four? And Then that, I realized, "Wait, minute. this no, pre this creates, is before this pre eighty yeah. So to kind of see that ahead of time, yeah, there's a bit of a big brother.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was kind of that, I thought yeah. it was
1: interesting. The the the, the one of the, the the takeaways from the film that I I remember was a friend of mine when when, when back in the nineties he. Uh, he had to go to the hospital because he had uh, hernia surgery and he had to share his hospital room with four other people three other people and his mother had rented him a, a, a TV screen to look at but the the nurses are like "Well, you can watch TV but you don't have headphones you can't turn the sound mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. so he's like "Oh, okay but he was he couldn't sleep he said the thing that saved his sanity was the fact that CBC was playing a six hour Mr. Bean marathon. <laughs> yeah. And realizing that, oh, yeah, like watching this film, it's you, the fact that it, the parallels between Mr. Bean and the silent film work of Charlie yeah. Chaplin is so. It's the so tramp character in particular. Yeah. yeah. And to see how accessible it is. And I remember people being, one of the criticisms of Mr. Bean by British audiences was it's too accessible. We like the idea of if you want to watch British comedies, you have to know something about our culture and mm-hmm. our vocabulary. And Mr. Bean did away with all that because he's essentially, he himself is a silent character. Yeah. And so to see something like this and realizing like, yeah, this is a very accessible, accessible movie because of the silent nature of it. And then looking at looking into modern times, finding out that one of the criticisms of the movie itself was the fact it was a silent era, but they had talking films at this time, and mm-hmm. he insisted on no, I, this is going to be, I'm doing this as a silent movie, yeah. or at least this portion of it, you know. And so in, in watching, I'm like, wait, but there's sound, but he's not going to talk, and so that that blend of the the two mm-hmm. the two processes but that threw criticism. me off
0: the first time I saw it yeah. I was like. Oh, I thought this was <coughs> p- supposed to be totally silent and, and just with the cards describing, yeah. like the the traditional. Yeah. But he, this was his his step before going in full on into talkies. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> another thing I thought was just like, are you kidding me? It was
1: he's also the composer. Yes. Yeah, and to. It's one thing to be like, well, I'm the, I'm the director, and the lead actor, or I'm a director and producer. But to be a a, a director,
0: actor, composer, is, mm-hmm. I thought I was like that. I mean, Carpenter does that, but Carpenter doesn't really act. John right, Carpenter. Right, right. And so to it's be... It's a totally different thing. To, to do that, well, I thought was a real interesting, interesting song. The music is brilliant in it. Yeah. And yeah. The, the famous song that came out of this is yeah. Smile, yeah. which uh, Michael Jackson in particular did. Such a nice job of in, interpreting that song. Yeah. Um, so I mean, the music is kind of like a secondary hero of this of this film. Yeah. So yeah, I was
1: I was quite quite amused by the by the piece. I thought it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Criticism or what are some criticisms you?
1: The my God the, the 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 end. I mean, just kind of the way it's just uh-huh. sort of the movie just it ends. It's like okay, well we're done. <laughs> Bye. So now. you thought there was maybe some uh, some could, kind could of have, it was
0: kind of missing the, yeah. I don't know if it's missing the third act as much or no just, just like what happens that. to them next
1: yeah what happens to them next yeah. and the fact that they're like well, okay we're going to leave with you know your your younger sisters are have been taken by the system yes you know for the uh, the, the the Paul Edgar character and so just like okay fine there's more business to be dealt with yeah here, right? more I, business I, to be dealt I with I guess but yeah that's fair enough yeah but that again yeah. that's that's nitpicking. I mean, I, nothing... Mm-hmm. It didn't really stand out as, as a, a tragic flaw to this film. I thought it was... You know, it was a, uh, it's an interesting film for me because it's his last of the Silent Little Tramp films and it's the first mm-hmm. one I've ever seen. So yeah. it makes me want to like go back and, and ch- look at... Check some out those, some of the other ones. Yeah, check, check out some yeah, of the other ones. Uh, the Kid or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah,
0: My criticism that I have is not fair to the film at all. Yeah, I think it's more of a criticism of audiences in 2020. You have to pay attention to this movie. Yes. You cannot be on your phone or distracted or talking right. to people. Uh, much like um, uh, a non-English language film, if yes. you try to watch *Parasite* and you're, you know, doing what you yeah. normally do, uh, it's going to be very difficult to appreciate and to follow. Right. Uh, it's not a movie you can put on the TV while you do dishes. <laughs> you know, it's you've got to be invested yeah. in this film 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, no doubt, it, it is a classic.
1: You do not speak with anybody other than the next of kin. No friend, no neighbor, or mistress. We're racing Fox, CNN, what have you. We gotta be first. Avoid physical contact. In case you feel like offering a hug or something, don't. I'm not gonna be offering any hugs, sir. Oh! Amazing grace How sweet to sound that's it. Are you Mrs. Peterson? How did it happen? He was killed in action yesterday. That's all the information we have now, ma'am.
0: Okay, thanks. I, I know this can't be easy for you. Goodbye. We walk
1: into these people's lives and we don't know anything. Trust me,
0: you don't want to know. Getting back to the idea of each of these uh, movies is about bad jobs. The Messenger is a film from 2009, which is about the people who have to go to families and tell them that their sons or daughters have been killed. Right. This came out in a decade where there were so many anti-war films because of, uh, of the, the war in Iraq. Right. This movie I don't see as being terribly political. No. And maybe that no. works to its advantage right. in, in re-watching it. For some reason, of the six, this was the when I was least excited to revisit. Mm-hmm. But I, when I watched it, I I could appreciate it. I think a little bit more uh, than when I watched it the first time. A big part of it for me is uh, this actor Ben Foster, yes, who's who's the main character, Staff Sergeant Will Montgomery, and I've seen him just sort of play these kind of outrageous quasi. Psychopathic characters right. and somewhat antisocial characters, and so I've had trouble getting behind him. I, he has some fans. Uh, there's a movie that I'm going to be reviewing pretty soon called Hell in High Water, okay. uh, where Jeff Bridges got a, a, an Oscar nomination for it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people thought Ben Foster should have. Right. I sort of came around in this. I actually think this might be my favorite film performance by him because he's not playing just one thing. Yeah. In here.
1: He's an actor who has largely been off my radar, uh, and, and including the whole film, actually. The, the first time I saw this movie, or knew of this movie, is when you sent me the DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, so another so, another new one. Yeah, and in looking at Ben Foster's, his uh, credits, I'm like, I had to go all the way down to X-Men 3 mm-hmm. before I found a film that I'd seen that he was in. And he plays Angel in that, just like this little... Yeah, very very small bit part. So I forgot that he was in that. actually. Yeah. yeah, and so just looking at it, I'm just like, oh, this is who you get if you can't get Ryan Gosling. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what he looked like to me. Um, so he was oh, wow. very much just like a new a new face. But okay. uh, but yeah,
0: I mean, it's a somewhat impressive resume. I think he was in the Thin Red Line, and but maybe there were a lot of movies that you just hadn't seen as much. Yeah. And,
1: yeah. But uh, it was a very, very intriguing movie, mm-hmm. uh, and the largely carried by the relationship between Foster and Woody Harrelson's character. Yeah. As the... Harrelson as the... Uh, Captain I, Tony Stone. Is yeah. He was part of this group called the the CNOs, or Casualty Notification Officers. And the one thing I thought was... One of my takeaways from the movie was how they dealt with the, the topic of PTSD, and how the... the the trauma shows up and manifests itself in different ways. And there's a scene early on where uh, Montgomery walks into a restaurant with uh, with a girl that he's seeing on the side and says, like, you know, I want to sit. I want to sit over there. And she says, well, someone's already sitting there. and said, Well, we'll wait because that's where I want to sit. And it's played by Jenna Malone. Yeah. 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 And the, the what's intriguing is, like, I'm originally from the U.S. And my mm-hmm. father was a Vietnam vet. Yeah. And so for him, PTSD manifested itself in not in the thank goodness Travis Bickle manner, but it was just the little things. And so he was very particular about where he sat in restaurants. Yeah. He was very particular about the type of hotel room he was in or the when staying in a hospital, he was very particular about, you know, the type of hospital room he was in. And so those little particularities are some some of the things that you may not recognize necessarily. From PTSD because it's not the big uh, the big grandiose grandiose aspects but just the little mm-hmm. subtle things, and it was just an interesting take on watching um, people try and readjust to the world. Uh, there's a great sequence where he's in a bar and he's just drinking, and at another table, a, a soldier just back from the war is. There's this big celebration. That's right. And this guy is telling a story to all of his friends. And, and then, you know, mentions like, yeah, this one guy I hung out with, blah, blah, blah. He was a great guy. And then he got shot in the head, the eye, and the throat, and one in the lung. But, um... And yeah. those who weren't at the
0: war, they're like, uh... Yeah. Like, it, the tone changes from very celebratory to, uh... Yeah. And then this guy realizes they don't get it. Yeah. And there's this moment of... That awkward this, moment. This first sense of being alone. Yeah. yeah. And the, the movie is an interesting
1: format at least for the start and that is we get to see here's the job and each moment where they go and break the news to family members there are their own little scenes and each yeah. little scene has its own little story to it and these little little episodes and so you see the, the different reactions and there's a great little two-scene performance by Steve Buscemi yes yeah. As a, a brief, that. you know, as a brief father, and we see him at the, early on at the end, and it, it,
0: it,
1: again, he's just he's hardly in the film, but it's it's a great little performance. But so, as
0: and, bad as you can imagine, yeah. the situation going when you hear about the job and you yeah. think about how bad it could go, that's how it goes. Yeah, here, I mean, it, at points you, it feels like maybe a touch over dramatic, overly dramatic, and yeah. then you kind of realize, no, I mean, no. If you get news like that yeah. and you feel this way about what's happened, then yeah. you're going to, again, the, the messenger, shoot the messenger, right? Yeah. And and then that really changes. They, they have a series of these things which are just so, so difficult. And there's this right. serious professional but pained look yeah. on Woody Harrelson's face in particular yeah. through all of those scenes. But they go to uh, Samantha Morden um, and she, she takes it seemingly really well. It's yeah. Just, oh, I, this must be really tough on you guys having to give me this yeah. news. And you're like, uh, this is not what we were expecting right. in this particular yeah. scene. I, I, I do want to spend some time. Olivia Peterson, yes. who then becomes a, a bit of a, a love interest here for yeah. Ben Foster's character, yeah. for Willa Montgomery, which is a big no-no early on, is not to yeah. get personally involved, not to touch them, right? not to say everything will be all right, just stick to the script. Yes. So he breaks every single rule with her. Morden is such a good actor. Yeah, I, I think. I, I mean, I'm I'm happy. I like it. I really like Woody Harrelson. Yeah. And anytime he gets recognition for yeah. something, I'm, I'm happy that that happens. He was the actor who got a nomination yeah. for this. The screenplay got nominated, but I think she kind of steals the film. Yeah, she does. Uh, and she's it's... British. She's been so good in so many movies. Right. Um, if you've seen um, In America. Okay. Minority Report, the Steven Spielberg yeah, film, I love Minority Report. and uh, this movie I recently reviewed on a Woody Allen theme show with right. uh, my my friends' uh, podcast, Rank and Review, uh, Sweden Lowdown. Well, she is currently crushing it right now on Walking Dead. Oh, okay, I'm not that far along, so she's showing up on Walking Dead. Yeah, that's as, a reason as for an, me to, to as get a caught major
1: up. major villain. Nice. And so she's, yeah, she is. Just, like she's really doing well in that mm-hmm. role and, and yeah. bringing so much gravity to it um, so that's uh, again, it's kind yeah. of the third
0: performance in here which re- is really significant yeah. even though we have some great cameos by yeah. some actors like Tsubushimi and Jenna and, yeah, and uh, the relationship between her
1: and, and Foster's character I thought was great like it was it was one of the most romantic relationships I've seen in recent times in, in film because it's so damn awkward it is you know and it's two people who are broken for different reasons, and they're trying to make something happen. And it feels like, oh, this is going to be very superficial, but mm-hmm. it's it's not. And it's and not they, tacked on. Yeah, and they understand know. that. Just it's they kind of want something to happen, but they understand that it's just so awkward for the whole the whole the whole scene, the whole moment is so loaded with this other this other weight, emotional weight to it. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's an interesting. Drawing out of this romance that is, is, as opposed to harlson's character, who is just, you know, like get as bang as many women as possible because that's that, his that's own, how he deals. That's with how he part of how he but, deals. But he's with so it. alone.
0: Like he, yeah, he will call Ben Foster in the middle of the night. Yeah, and we and I was just because it was it had been years between seeing this, and I was yeah. like, Can I, I think there's somebody else in the room. Yeah, you know, and I was like, I, I think I remember that because they have a really really long and direct phone conversation yeah. but he's with a woman at the same time that he's calling the, the ben foster character yeah. and i i think maybe the reason his performance was selected a little bit other than the fact that he's woody harrelson and he was kind of the biggest star in the movie is that everything is very internal like yeah like he's a charismatic character but he sticks to his guns but he's keeping it all inside until yeah. one scene yeah and it's like kind of a for your consideration type of scene yeah but how even how that's written and how that's handled is um it is, is so good and it, apparently what he doesn't cry and so they they made sure they were both eating burgers in the scene yeah. and he made sure he'd have extra onions he's a vegan so he he had a vegan burger yeah. veggie burger but extra onions yeah so that he'd be able to cry yeah but something happened to him in there where he didn't actually need that yeah. and it reminds me of um, like I think it was I was watching
1: one of the behind the scenes pieces for the movie Signs yeah and the, the, the talk is that one of the hardest things to do is act while you're eating mm-hmm. or also cry while you're eating and Mel Gibson does that he breaks down while he's voraciously eating and starts to break down and cry mm-hmm. and so to see that you know it was a great performance from from Harlson. What I thought was also intriguing about the movie is the dy- the the dynamic between the two characters because Harlson outranks you know our our Ben Foster's character, and you know like this is how this works. This is how this job works. I'm going to tell you how the world works. Blah blah blah. But then you find out over time that when it came to combat, when it came to their experiences, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that Foster went through a lot more. Yeah, you know, and realizing that you know that. The end when he unravels like we know ahead of time like yeah he's a war hero he's like yeah you, you want to know why i'm a war hero you want to hear my story yeah and then he tells he his story It's like, like i'm not a hero at all. Yeah, yeah it's like this is i just woke up and there's a medal on me you know yeah. and it's like wow that's that's completely totally. different yeah. and and harlson even admitting that his character yeah he hadn't really seen combat he was just there so he I was very he, good at this particular job and yeah. that's why he got to
0: the position he's in yeah yeah
1: and the Foster's character breaking some of the rules but trying to add humanity to it i thought it was a, a a nice touch my my criticisms of the movie is that in the third act there's a the whole sequence where the two of them get blind stinking drunk i was gonna mention this and I think we're on, in the same place with this one yeah and they go on this you know stupid little <laughs> bender dumb and dumber thing let's crash the the wedding no. announcement oh, or God. the engagement party when you're only been having the affair with... It. Yeah, and, and that. Let's run around the parking lot and pretend to throw grenades. I'm like, no. Ugh.
0: Well, they get into this skirmish, too, with some other yeah. people in this boat who are acting like yeah. jerks while they're trying to fish. and Yeah. Yeah, I... That... I, it just went on too long. Yeah, it went on I, too long. I, I think I can maybe get behind the wedding scene. And he's crashing the wedding and trying to make a point and all of, all of that. But it... Yeah, it, it, it goes on too long, and I guess that that would be a bit of a flaw, perhaps, in the screenwriting. Yeah, that I was, mean, it, they're having fun doing it, obviously, yeah, yeah. Um, and playing off of each other, but yeah, yeah, it does feel like it belongs in a different movie. That's what I felt.
1: I yeah. felt it just it you you had me, and then that didn't lose me, but I was just like, this feels mm-hmm. out of place to be this this you know this long and awkward, and then we go back to the, the speech at the end, which is fine. It's like okay, good, now we're we're finishing off the film nicely. But just that, that moment, that's going to be my criticism,
0: my, my weak point. Yeah. This was towards the end, I think, of all of these uh, Iraq, m- like modern-time Iraq films yeah. coming out. And I, I think it is one of the better ones. I guess just stacked up on this like the list of six movies we're looking at, it might not earn as many points right. as as some of the others. But I think it's well worth watching if you haven't seen The Messenger. It's, it's not a happy... Movie, no. but there are uh, much sadder yeah. war-based films right. than this right. one as well. Yeah, and uh, I- I'm glad they reintroduced that Steve Buscemi for that second scene because that was a really important idea. Yeah, and late it's, in the film, it's a war film that has no images
1: of war. No, it's all no. about the. It-, it looks at the aftermath and it's, it's all
0: speeches and memories. Yeah. yeah, we're seeing like what happens now. Yeah, much like a, a, a movie from the '70s, coming home. Okay. John Voight and Jane Fonda and and Bruce Dern, which is about like what happens after. In that case, of so the the Vietnam context. Yeah. And um, yeah, this,
1: again, I really appreciated the the approach to looking at PTSD and the the way that Foster portrays the different aspects of it from the little things in terms of like you know how to shop and just watching him buy groceries was it reminded me of you know Jeremy Renner in The Hurt Locker. You know, yes. Like he's confronted by. You know, ordinary life, ordinary life, mm-hmm. and the way that ordinary life is very
0: unordinary now. So, I, I, that the, that aspect I really enjoyed. Another reference to kind of a forgotten movie, Oliver Stone's movie Heaven and Earth, okay, which was the, the end of his Vietnam trilogy, but it was from the, the point of view of uh, an actual woman, yeah, uh, who lived in Vietnam and then ended up marrying a soldier and moving to the U.S., yes. and when she sees a grocery store in California, and this like this is normal for yeah, yeah for these people. After you've been through through that, I mean, it just is a different lens on the world, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, very good. Uh, check out the messenger. Salsa shark. We're gonna need a bigger boat.
1: Throughout history, they have been a part of our American life, men and women who have made it their mission serve their fellow man they've worked hard enough isn't it time they had their own movie
0: clerks this job would be great if it wasn't for the customers i, I don't bother them and they don't bother me i could do without the people in the video store do you have know, that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year you should hear the barrage of stupid questions i get what do you mean there's no license you mean i gotta drink this coffee hot you'd feel a hell of a lot better if you just rip into the occasional customer <laughs> You're a clerk, paid to do a job. You can't just do anything you want while you're working.
1: Hey, you open?
0: No! What kind of convenience store do you run here?
1: Miramax Films presents...
0: You think anybody can see us down here?
1: Why? Do you want to have sex or something? Uh, Can we? Clerks. Just because they serve you doesn't mean they like you.
0: Now we move on to the film that was the the reason for this particular podcast, yes. Clerks. One day in the life of uh, a clerk who is called in at the last minute, wasn't supposed to work, and right. he goes in and he works, he's in New Jersey, and it's pretty much uh, Kevin Smith's life at the time, Yes, becoming a filmmaker with right. Clerks, which became a enormous indie success yes but it was in 1994 which was such a crowded year for great movies i mean that's year pulp fiction came out in the lion king and yeah. forrest gump and shawshank redemption and and all these films and it was it was released pretty late in the year so it was well known in, in the festival circuit Sun, sundance in particular is where it, it made its mark Right. Uh, but it, it has lasted. I think it is a, you know, a cult classic. You might call it that. Absolutely. Yeah. And introduced the world to Kevin Smith, who is still, uh, I, I still an important filmmaker. Uh, it's perhaps been diminishing returns uh, the last
1: yeah, while. Yeah. He's, he's really made a living out of being a guy who talks about movies more it. than makes them. Um, but yeah, he's got quite a long list of film credits and he's actually gone on to do quite a bit of directing on TV uh, working on shows like Arrow and The Flash and um, a TV sitcom called The Goldbergs mm-hmm. but um, yeah this was the the ship the, the, the movie that launched, launched an entire career an entire uh, little, little mini empire for him uh, this was the first of the movies that he called being part of what he called the View Universe because mm-hmm. this, his production company is called View Askew. And so, this was the first to begin a series of movies that are all set kind of in the same place, have some characters that cross over. He would reuse a lot of the same actors, yeah. um, playing multiple roles. Um, but... Clerks led to Mall Rats, which led to Chasing Amy, which led to Dogma, which led to Jane saw Bob Strike Back, mm-hmm. and led to Clerks 2. And then along the way, he would have these other movies like Jersey Girl, Jersey Girl was one. Or that
0: one I haven't seen, uh, Zach, and, Zach Vera and Mary make a yeah. porno, I think yeah, it's, called. it's called. Zach and Mary
1: make a porno. And yeah. then realizing the. Which was an interesting movie because it was his. It was the movie that he had made the most amount of money on, but he was horribly disappointed in how it performed. And some people said, well, the problem is that they had to, I think for the marketing purposes, change the name to Zack and Mary. And people were like, well, what the hell is Zack and Mary about? And so yeah, it, sounds like, it, it just sounds like, like a yeah, it was Mark Bergman film or something. And, and he took it very personally that mm-hmm. it was um, Seth Rogen's worst performing film. Yeah. And Kevin Smith felt really bad about that. Yeah. But uh, he also Smith would also do another movie, a very interesting movie called Red State, yes. which was his him dipping his toe into the uh, horror genre, and then he would go on and make a few other interesting films that were, you know, maybe not critical successes. But one thing that Smith learned early on is. As long as he is connected to his audience, his audience will support his work. Yes. And so he he's, he feels free to crank out some weird movies like Tusk and things like he that. He
0: can do whatever he wants. I mean, yeah. he, he he made a, a movie just for his daughter's acting career. Yeah. He he was in Saskatoon a little bit more than a year ago. Right. Uh, and I I, I went and, and heard him speak. What was kind of deceptive about it was it was supposed to be a question and answer. And people lined up for the entire two hours and he got to like two two people's yeah, questions because yeah. he would just go off on tangents and it was all pre-planned stuff he wanted to talk about yeah, yeah. and he wouldn't completely answer that person's question right. Uh, there was one unfortunate moment where he was kind of making fun of uh, this man's voice and saying it was like a Jim Henson type of thing. Oh, right. And I don't think he meant anything yeah, ill yeah. by that, but it was just... Um, but he told interesting stories. He's yes. a storyteller. He's a great if story-teller. it was just that, yeah. just go watch him
1: talk about the movie industry. Yeah, I, I was there as well. I also saw uh, him do live podcast with Jason Mewes. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's a wonderful storyteller. Like, listening to him talk about... You know, growing up in New Jersey or just being a filmmaker and all these things are quite quite prolific. The story quite of how his daughter
0: got cast in uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once right. Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. uh, was, was interesting. story of his heart attack. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a, a lot of interesting stuff there. And Clerks, yeah, Clerks started it all. And I think his basic philosophy is if you want to be a filmmaker, just go make a movie. Right. And how he made this movie... He told that story as well, and I'm sure yeah. you've heard it. Yeah. He just kept get getting signed up for these credit cards, and he, you know, they would contact his boss, which yeah. was basically him, right, running this this uh, convenience store, and just kept they kept calling him, and yes, he he works here. Yes, we can guarantee that. Yeah. He maxed all these credit cards, enormous risk. If, if yeah. this had failed, yeah, he he could have I don't know ended up in jail or or yeah. something, but fortunately. You know the right person saw this movie at uh at a screening in sundance and and then got the powers that be to, to buy it and yeah uh one of i mean a, a big part of recently not to get into the harvey weinstein thing too much is that what kevin smith has felt bad that mm. a lot of his career was under the weinstein label yeah he's taken profits from that and he's given it uh, back to uh to women's organizations right when some other filmmakers haven't haven't shown that kind of remorse, yeah. What I heard is the reason that Miramax picked Clerks was it it was kind of a boring idea to, to Weinstein, except for uh, the sex joke, which yeah. I think was probably the snowball joke in there, and he found that amusing. Yeah. And anything that was kind of like edgy like that, Weinstein yeah. would would buy into that. Yeah. And it was it was a movie that was inspired by Slacker. Um, by Richard
1: Lincoln. Yes, that's right. An idea that, oh, you mean that this can be a movie? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so what we, the product we got with Clerks is this movie set almost entirely in two stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of it is in a convenience store. Some of it's in the neighboring, the next door. Is video rental store. Yeah, RST yeah. video. And just these little almost like two-handers where you've got two people talking behind the counter. Or two people and a third person comes in and you've got these nice little vignettes as this guy's trying to... The character Dante is trying to kill his kill time and, and deal with a day where he's not even supposed to be at work. Yeah. And we also get the introduction of the character Randall who is his... his I wouldn't say his foil, but his, his opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy who is, doesn't give a damn about the job at all. He's, he loves... He says, you know, this place would be great if it wasn't for the customers. Yes. And Randall's lines, he's like... He's the, the one who, who lines all the punchlines and finding out, of course, that this is the part that Smith wrote for himself, because he has the best lines, but he realized, I can't do both. I can't be that character. So getting Jeff Anderson in to, to play this a little bit. Um, also, the story of Dante and his weird love triangle that he has with these two women, Veronica and Caitlin. Uh, Veronica played by a woman named Marilyn Gigliotti and Caitlin played by a woman named Lisa Spoonhauer who passed away a few years ago. Mm. And so it's one of those movies where you watch and you're like, how did this guy get involved in a love triangle with two well-adjusted, attractive women? Like, this makes no... Like, that... Okay, I don't necessarily... And the one girl's
0: so sweet yeah, and, like, brings him lasagna, takes care of him, but the other one is, like, that... Yeah, from his past, and yeah. was the popular girl, and yeah, and uh, so to um that
1: that's an interesting dynamic, and mm-hmm. of course it's the movie that introduces us to Jay and Silent Bob, yeah. who become like a, an institution all their own, and but yeah, they
0: look young in this. Yeah, when you go back
1: to rewatch it, it's and it's <laughs> also interesting to rewatch it and realize like in the first, in Clerks, the character of Jay played by Jason Mewes is very unlikable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you it, like I remember watching it the first time and I'm like I hate this guy and then by the end of the movie you really like him he's just he kind of he, he kind of talks some he, sense like yeah, he, he,
0: he would was. always come in they, they would both come in yeah. and, because they were typically secondary characters I, yeah. I, a bit of a bias I, I think I like the movies where they're secondary characters more than when they're in the forefront yes. oh yeah I haven't seen yeah. the, the new Jay and Silent Bob film yet. Right. I'm, so I'll check it out at yeah. some point. But I, I like when they, they come in and they have a conversation with the protagonist and yeah. talk some sense. They do a very similar thing in Chasing Amy to the, yes. the Ben Affleck
1: character. Yeah, and that's kind of... It becomes their little... In Mall Rats, they have this little role of being these weird little mischief makers. Yes. And so by the end of so clerks, you end up liking this, this Jason Mewes kid. And, and you're like, okay, that's actually probably... A good representation of what he was like growing up and that is smith saying like i was annoyed like in his stories like i was annoyed by this kid and then after a while he just grows on you and then you know he like you have these buddies who are yeah yeah um but and also another interesting piece about clerks is it would later smith would go on to write a clerks comic book mm-hmm. which lasted for a few issues but he also made a clerks cartoon
0: yeah, I, I saw that when I was looking.
1: Uh, and the, the cartoon is quite interesting because it's, it, they made six episodes and only two episodes aired. <laughs> and they aired after the Super Bowl on ABC. <laughs> and so they thought this was going to be a mid-season thing to compete with The Simpsons. And so they, did, they released uh, two episodes and then it got pulled because of ratings. Uh, then you can get DVD collections where you get to watch all six and in neither of the episodes that were aired do they feature uh, one character who's quite prominent in the in the series. Is a, this uh, mega millionaire, this billionaire named Leonardo Leonardo, voiced by Alec Baldwin? <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, wow, they brought in some big people to be on this
0: well, film. I mean, after the fact, I mean, film. yeah. Kind of start off with this is really like nobody was known. Yeah. This was made for for next to nothing. Yes. And then each movie, uh, there would be kind of up and coming movie stars. Shannon Doherty is in Mallrats. Yeah. Then yeah. we we start to have uh, Ben Affleck and um, Jason Lee. Jason Lee, yeah. Jason Lee. There's something about Jason Lee where he's really good in Cameron Crowe films, and he's yeah. really good uh, in Kevin Smith films. Yes. I don't think he's worked with him recently. Then I'm,
1: maybe some cameos because yeah. some, of, some of his later films he he brought in. Some some cameo appearances by these actors, yeah. But um, yeah, it was. But, and then
0: A-listers. When we get to Dogma, I mean, everybody yeah. wanted
1: to be in that film, right? And you get Matt Damon, and you get uh, George Carlin, yeah. And and so yeah, force uh, that played God in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, Alan Rickman. Yeah, Rick- Oh yeah, that's right, yeah. Rickman.
0: Well, oh, I I really like Clerks. I I think I I can spot how independent it was. Yes. And it does feel like a series of sketches. Yes, absolutely. And then there'd be these little scenes to tie things in. They have the hockey game on the roof because the hockey game is going to be screwed over because he's... Work, but and that's and this this whole bit that kind of leads to nothing. Like yeah. the main part of the hockey game is some guy who's you know bad mouthing him. This customer who wants to get in, yeah, and and comes up and tries to prove he's a better hockey player. And then the you know, well, he the, the guy wants
1: the guy wants to get his cigarettes, but the they close the store to play hockey, so the guy goes up on the roof, knocks their ball way off. Now your game's done. So open yeah. up the store. Yeah, but there there are some great little vignettes in there. There's um, one scene that I've used when I taught communications and I was teaching the idea of persuasive techniques is the whole bit with the truly's gum representative yes and you know building up this anti-smoking you know fever and then it's like you know try something try this try truly's gum and so yeah there are these neat little moments um one of his friends Walt Flanagan is in the movie and he plays like four different roles um, he, his nickname for him was the launch. Woolen cap
0: smoker, egg yeah. man, offended customer, cat admiring, bitter customer.
1: Yeah. And he's just this, <laughs> he just comes in to, and, and Walt Flanagan was one of his friends growing up. So yeah. he, he incorporated quite a few of his, his friends and people who were close to him growing up just to have these little, little moments. Like his mom appears in the movie as, you know, the milkmaid who's going through all the milk to see the, which one has the, oh, yeah. the, the expiry date.
0: Yeah. But
1: I remember when this movie came out because it was uh, I was in university at the time, and a friend of mine was at a barbecue. And he said, "Oh, have you seen this movie, Clerks?" So I'm like, "No." And he said, "Well, if you ever see a movie in, in a movie store, rent it and check it out. Cause, you know, because it's quite funny." And I remember I rented it and I watched it, and then I rewound the film and I watched it again, and then I rewound the film and then I just fast forwarded to parts and wrote down bits of dialogue because this is mm-hmm. before I had a computer, before I had the internet, and just little funny moments just so I could tell my friends about them. Like, the, the, the scene where Randall's ordering movies from his distributor, you know, it's a great, great, hilarious sequence. This woman comes in with her kid yeah, and woman. she wants happy, scrappy, hero puppy. He goes, okay, well, I'm on the phone with the distributor and starts to order these movies and then he hits the, the porn titles and they just get more and more oh, depraved. Yeah. And then he's like... And you feel like he's just making this up. Yeah. because like, it's just like, and... Sorry, what was it called again? <laughs> like, this the. Neat little moments like
0: that. Yes. Yeah. And, and everything feels quite true to life. I mean, yeah. the, the Randall character, I've worked with people like that. Yeah. And, you know, where they're just, that's how they are. And almost in some ways, they're in a healthier place. Yeah. You know, Dante wants to do his job well. Yeah. He's just really annoyed with his in life, and, and he needs to make some changes yeah. for that to and happen. And that's that's been thrown in his face there.
1: And it's interesting to watch a movie at a time when, when the, the, the characters in the film are representing in many ways you at that moment that you're watching it. Mm-hmm. So it was like when I was 12 and watching Stand By Me. And I yeah. remember watching Stand By Me with three of my friends who were also 12. And so it was something about the film really resonates because you're watching representations of yourself. Maybe not you know exactly what they're going through, but you see yourself represented. And Clerks was that for me because I was in my early 20s. I had more direction than Dante or Randall did because I was in university at the time, but just to see like yourself reflected, and the mm-hmm. way that you, these people were talking, the way me and my friends talk, yeah. you know, and it, the like so the conversations they have about things like, what did you like better, Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back or Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi? And it's like Empire, oh blast me, and they have this yeah. talk, and I'm like, I've had that conversation yeah. or conversations like that at two o'clock in the morning sitting in a park eating Burger King mm-hmm. after the bars have closed, and you're just sitting there like, yeah, what the hell is with Ewoks? Like, you just have those, <laughs> and then yeah. you see like, oh, okay, it's not just us. You no, know? it isn't. It,
0: it, that was a time when it seemed like film fans became filmmakers. Yes. And so uh, Tarantino and Smith are often mentioned kind of in the same, Yeah, like Tarantino always gets, like, a, was ahead of Smith and yeah. is more critically acclaimed consistently yeah. than Smith. But they are both giant film geeks. Yeah. With Smithy he's not just interested in film though. I think he's interested in comic books and yes. it's you know.
1: And like one, one conversation reminds me of is in Reservoir Dogs this brutal heist film that's bloody and violent and everything but it begins with a discussion of Like a Virgin yeah. <laughs> by Madonna. And it's yeah. Like, here's what that song is really about. And it's like wait they're, we're dedicating film time yeah. to them talking about the the you know the, here's my theory about like a virgin. and I'm like that is like great.
0: people who are at work don't just talk about the job that they do. Yeah, like out of, it comes out of the TV thing where police officers are just focused on the case and just talking about that. Yeah. Criminals are just interested in committing the crime and that's all yeah. they talk about. And filmmakers like Smith and Tarantino and and some others, when people are on their way or they're doing their job or they're bored at work, they're going to talk about other things that they're genuinely yeah. interested in. Yeah, and and I think. One thing
1: Smith tried to do in his first three, maybe even four films is that he wanted every film to have a reference to Jaws, Mm -hmm. a reference to hockey, and a reference to Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Whether it's just a little tiny quip about it or a set piece or uh, a a little moment, he wanted to make sure that he hit kind of all three of those, just almost like little hidden Easter eggs for his fans. So yeah, again, it's a movie that probably I like more than I should, or it means more to me than it would typically for you know if I was just to grab a random purse and say like hey check out this movie and it's like it's a black and white movie about two guys and this what and yeah it's like yeah it's about a guy who hates being at work and, and whatnot but it's it just it hit at a time and it, it just resonates with me like even the soundtrack I, I've listened to that's the a soundtrack. good soundtrack yeah it's a great soundtrack and I've listened to it like hundreds and hundreds of times and it's just something about the, the piece just uh, like a little 90s time capsule was really really good and it was characters and people who looked like me and my friends and that's refreshing Uh, you know I remember one movie I I hated in particular it was Cloverfield and Mm I was watching that and I'm like I can't stand this movie and someone's like why? I'm like because everyone is pretty I hate there's supposed to be ordinary people yeah yeah, a party scene where everybody's gorgeous yeah it's like everybody looks like they're from a catalogue and so it's refreshing to see a movie where everyone looks like just ordinary folks yeah it's like oh, okay, ordinary people going to work, and this is what their life is like. So yeah, there's there's lots of little little things about it I like. Obviously, data there's plenty of flaws. It's a little overwritten, mm-hmm. I think. You know, in terms of the maybe the the vocabulary and whatnot. But it was it was a piece that launched this this great you know the great empire of not just films but podcasts and cartoons and comics and other media with. It all goes, its genesis is this one film. So yeah. it's important for that reason.
0: It's a little film, that good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you, you addressed, because that was giving the challenge, because my challenge was coming up with the flaw for Taxi Driver and for, for you to come up with some flaws. Yeah. Uh, for me, I guess watching it this time, you might be mad at me a little bit. I, I, I love it. I love the writing. I like talk heavy movies. Yeah. And so I've always appreciated that. I think I'd forgotten the episodic nature of it. Just There's these a, little bits he came up with, and then... Yeah, like... Like, some of them would fall, be followed through, and others... Like, vilification,
1: Jane Silent Bob, Randall, syntax, vagary, purgation, like, this weird little... But even within those, they have these yeah. many... And, and and so some of them are like, okay, but, you know, quandary, like, okay, don't overthink it.
0: You know, you're... Yeah, it feels almost... Trying to be Fellini almost, Yeah, you're not, making, you're not making... You're not making Citizen here. The other thing I could, it's, and maybe it's a bit mean when it's a bunch of friends getting together and over however many weekends or whatever yeah. they were making the film, some of the acting isn't right. as sharp. And the, the woman who plays Veronica, Marilyn... Uh, I- audience yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I like the character a lot. Yeah. I just wasn't sure that she was that sharp is fantastic and again this right. is me looking for things to criticize yeah. a little bit more it, it's interesting the two leads I think are, are terrific in their careers yeah. other than through clerks have not no no and, um, uh, you know, Brian O'Hara o- 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 or Halloran, Halloran yeah. playing Dante and then Jeff Anderson as Randall they did good chemistry they almost yeah. had a Jay and Silent Bob chemistry I wonder yeah. if if uh, Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith had played those characters Well, yeah. what that would have done I, I don't think like, Muse he couldn't have. I he couldn't have. have. No, <laughs> no. Given yeah, his past. But.
1: Yeah, the thing with O'Halloran, like, he's done a couple films. Like, he was just... He was a small-time actor that they pulled in. Same thing with Anderson. But since Clerks and uh, some of the other films, Jeff Anderson's barely been a hermit. He and Lisa Spoonhauer, who played Caitlin, actually got married. Uh, and then they, they broke up and then she would later pass away, I believe, from a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. But... Um, he when they came time to do Clerks two, they had everybody lined up. Oh, for, yeah. Except for Anderson, mm-hmm. he was the last. He was the holdout. Yeah. And he was very skeptical. He's like, I don't know if I want to revisit this whole thing because he just really wasn't into being an actor anymore. Fair enough. And they did it, and they knocked it out of the park with yeah. Clerks two. Yeah. And
0: I miss the black and white photography. Yeah. It's it's strange how yeah. I associate that with Clerks. Yeah. And it's it's funny. In because, color wasn't.
1: Yeah. It, it's funny because he mentioned like. He filmed it in black and white because the director of photography he was working with said like you know black and white's a little easier. And He was like okay, well let's do black and white then. Oh, okay, so they did it in black and white, and then when critics saw it, they said like oh it was very clever because he filmed it like it was on a security cam. Mm-hmm. And Smith was like yeah it was kind of grainy like that. It like, wasn't yeah, intended at all. Yeah he's like of course that was my fault yeah, the entire time. Yes. Yeah <laughs> there was a um, in the in the Clerks cartoon one of the episodes is in response to what he like Smith thought there would be a backlash to the cartoon how it wasn't like the the film so one of the episodes is a tribute to the film and that it's set entirely in the store it's in black and white it has those title cards but then it kind of and it's all about this how this all of this crazy stuff is happening outside in the street, but they can't show you because yeah. they've got to stay within stay the confines the of this. Yeah, the 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 cartoon is has a charm all its own, and it's especially if you like if you love the Dante Randall dynamic. Yeah. Check out the cartoon because yeah. the that they really play off on that nicely.
0: If, if we could come up with a couple themes with these six movies, which were so different, very different love stories that don't annoy us. Yes, and independent filmmakers choosing one location and just shooting the heck out of it yeah. and being quite successful in that yeah. regard. So, yeah, you uh, everything you can out of it. Clerks that. is definitely a cult classic and I, I think it's a very worthy film but you might not be as happy with the point distribution. Yeah, thing.
1: it's, I, could, I get it, it's gonna, it's not the strongest film but again, it's, it's for me personally, it's got, it's, it's got that, it's, uh, yeah, it, it resonates with me.
0: for coming on the show again well, and thank you for uh, having me a, providing your insight blast. on these six movies yeah and I, I like the direction you you go with with several of them i i learned something from this i didn't know with taxi driver the connection to the punk rock culture yeah until today so thank you so much for no that problem. so going through in the order that we reviewed them how many points would you give session nine
1: so i gave session nine 11 points okay yeah just as a wonderfully atmospheric uh horror story and taxi driver uh taxi driver i gave a nine Nine. Uh, I, I like the film i don't know if it's aged particularly as well as it could have but i think it's definitely definitely a, a, a powerful movie okay dirty pretty things dirty pretty things i gave a 10, ten. Uh, i think because it was a uh wonderful little surprise was it kind of the
0: steve jobs of this list for you yeah
1: yeah in some ways yeah it was, it was out of left field, didn't know anything about it going in, and uh, yeah, it actually was a very intriguing thriller. Modern Times, Modern Times, I gave it ten also because of it being a uh, a great little surprise. My introduction to Charlie Chaplin as a an actual Charlie Chaplin film, and so it had some great great little moments that are, are wonderful wonderful watching the messenger messenger i gave an eight uh it was my weakest film of the group um and although i love the performances uh it did slow down for me in that third act Mm -hmm. uh a little bit but um like filler yeah yeah
0: and it didn't need filler i think it was a decent length
1: yeah and last but not least clerks one of your favorites this is my bias showing up it's gonna be my biggest number and that's 12, 12 uh for clerks yeah, it's a flawed film, but for me personally, just at the age I was when I saw it, and for what it means to the overall work of Kevin Smith, I think it's a very, uh, it's a great movie. It's got some, it's got some great writing that still holds up.
0: But you did a nice job of kind of spreading these out. It wasn't like a, a dramatic difference, right? And you know, we go from eight points to twelve points. Here. Yeah, mine's a little bit more spread out, I guess. Okay, um, I gave thirteen to session nine. I I think it is one of the great horror movies of this. Century so mm-hmm. far and I, I wish more people would see it. So it has a total of 24 I gave 15 to taxi driver I think it's the best movie of the 1970s and to me the 1970s was one of the great decades of, of film it's such a disturbing movie um it bothers me that some people can sort of take it the wrong way, Right. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think that's a filmmaker's fault. It's my favorite Robert De Niro performance, my favorite Martin Scorsese film, and I recently went on record saying that Martin Scorsese is the greatest living filmmaker, perhaps the greatest filmmaker of all time. N- next, uh, I-, I gave nine to uh, Dirty Pretty Things. It- I really like the screenplay, I like the acting, uh, it hasn't had uh, a wide audience, I'd like More people to see it just up against some of these other films I think it's uh, just a little bit um, I think if it was another list it might have had the the top top points so it's not a bad film people should really really check it out so that's 19 points modern times I gave 13 it's a classic Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it I was nervous I get nervous when I'm introducing an older film or a silent film yeah and I, I mean I recently had a Hitchcock movie that got zero points from my uh, <laughs> my guest and, and uh, so I thought well okay to me zero points has to be a movie that I strongly strongly dislike borderline so, uh, so that's 23 points for modern times messenger I gave five like you I I I, th- I think it's weak on this list, but if we were looking at another list of films, let's say we we grabbed six movies which were about the Iraq War right. while, while the Iraq war was happening, uh it might rank quite a bit higher because it I don't view it as a propaganda film no in any way. Right. Um so it gets thirteen points and unfortunately I was just kind of watching it this time. Other times I've had a more positive view of clerks. I think i saw a couple of the the flaws or the Mm -hmm. the early immaturity in his filmmaking right um and i i really hadn't noticed bad acting before and in here i noticed some bad acting right but can i fault somebody who is just getting together like family and friends on the weekend to make his independent film you know i I think i'm being maybe a little bit too hard on it this time but maybe i'm being hard on it because it became such a big film right and i'm waiting for another great kevin smith movie to come along not one that's sort of oh he's yeah he's working and he's a working director and a working writing director but i I want something that is i i'm I'm kind of i really like chasing amy for example or dogma yes something along those lines or even something that is kind of stripped down like this yeah. going back to his roots as a filmmaker yeah. because he still has, has done a lot of work and acknowledged clerks and its importance yeah. in, his, in his career um, so I would never say to somebody don't watch clerks unless they're quite sensitive to uh, some swearing or yeah. and the, the, kind of more than R-rated content and nearly only got an NC-17 rating.
1: Right and Smith pointed that out in an interesting interview that the in Canada we tend to tackle things like nudity and, and violence in Ratings, but for him, he found that in, in America, a lot of the rating has to do with talking about sex. Showing yeah. sex isn't as big a deal as talking about it. Yeah. yeah, they're, they're very because, uh,
0: on the surface. Yeah, there's a couple of things in there, but I'm like, eh, just yeah. to, to, be, to go beyond R for this film. Yeah, when I see countless amounts of violence in movies that now get PG 13 ratings. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, as it happens, we had a tie for the most points between so, session nine. What and you did and you give Clarks? Oh, sorry, five is what I gave it. Yeah, so 17. So the most points, uh, Session 9 and Taxi Driver each at 24. Modern Times at 23, coming in third place. Then Dirty Pretty Things was fourth with 19. Clerks then was fifth, oddly enough, with 17. Uh, The lowest number of points, by quite a bit, 13 points, was The Messenger. Right. So, Messenger now has to be removed from my collection. Oh, boy. What would you like me to do with The Messenger?
1: Uh... I think uh, in, not necessarily in honor of that film, but in honor of Taxi Driver and in honor of um, Dirty Pretty Things. I think the next time you travel and the next time you take a taxi, you are to leave that video in the back seat. Okay. So for someone to find and maybe take home and watch. Cool. I like that idea. So yeah, have, maybe even the taxi driver himself. Or you can like, hey, here's a tip. Here's five bucks tip, and and here's a movie. Here's watch a this. Movie. Yeah. 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 So that would be. In honor of taxi drivers everywhere. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Thank you for having me.
0: soon cab driver or an Uber driver is going to receive a DVD copy of The Messenger. I want to thank Dan Boudet again for being part of the show. Uh, please, please uh, start sharing and uh, recommending this podcast I'm on Facebook and the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. You can uh, email me at show at gmail.com and uh, again, we're working on trying to get a, a website up for this show and to try to get it on iTunes and different Uh, podcast listening services but for now if you can share it and tell your friends about it that would be much appreciated I also want to recommend that you listen to my friend Larry Parsons podcast rank and review until next time keep watching the movies